This week's episode is sponsored by the Brisbane Marathon Festival. Run the story bridge without a car in sight. In its 30th year, the Brisbane Marathon Festival has given you and every runner a reason to celebrate with us. Whether you plan on tackling the Brisbane Marathon, Half Marathon, 10K, 5K or 2K, celebrate the 30th annual Brisbane Marathon Festival in style on an all-new course taking in the very best of the Brisbane city from the start to the finish on Sunday the 5th of June 2022. Enter now with more information at brisbanemarathon.com.au. Episode number 233 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Coming to you a day late this week, so I uh, appreciate you guys still listening to us, even though we're a bit later than usual. Big show coming at you. Boston Marathon happened this morning, so I'll be talking about all that. Got a listener question, Moose on the Loose, Perch of the Week possibly, even a bit of training talk, and the... Uh, Oh, and a great start, fellas, whoever that is, and an Ollie Hoare interview coming to you at the very end. Welcome to my co-host up in Canberra. Was that you pouring a drink there, Croker? It wasn't me. Well, it wasn't you. Could you hear that? I could hear someone pouring a drink and someone's smoke alarm going off. Well, I put my, I put my um, laptop on the oven and it was still on, so it was beeping at me. <laughs> Brady, we should, we should probably mention why we're a day late, and that's because you are the Herb Hederman champion, and... Um, weren't available last night too busy signing autographs doing interviews yep putting kids to bed brad it was a very low-key celebration i had two beers two beers on the drive home from bendigo as carly was driving and then straight back into dad mode so um i'm looking i'm hoping you boys having a few beers tonight i might have a few while i'm recording so i was pretty happy to hear someone pouring a drink before moose was that alcoholic yeah congrats mate you look you look very strong Thank you, Brad. I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit in the episode, but um, yeah, nice to get another stall sash and appreciate your comments. Just a shame, though, that it coincides with the annual Moose on the Loose of um, pro running. Mm. I think every I think every year, the week after Easter, it's always Moose on the Loose. Oh, pro running. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that this this year, Moose. There'll be some robust discussions. He's just actually watched it. We're we're recording 10 minutes late because he wanted to actually watch the race, so he's, he's got it fresh in his mind. Yeah, and it was quite good to watch. You were like, it was like watching a watching a, a man run against children. That's except the man was given a hundred and fifty meter head start. Hundred and thirty meters head start. But thank you, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, you're looking quite. Um, you're looking real weathered, and I like that in a runner. Looking it real just shows you, it shows bod. you're spending a lot of time out in the um, out in the elements. What it's, do you mean weathered? Well, you know, like old. Oh, I, thought you, you look, I thought you looked quite smooth, Moose. Like, really? No. For, I, for that look, speed? 
Oh, no, as he was running, that was fine. I mean, in the interview afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just the close-up. You're just seeing all yeah. the Couple two of kids. Yeah. Like, doesn't work much, though, so I'm not sure where the real stress is coming from. Nah, a couple of rough nights sleep, those two nights leading in. I reckon I had about eight hours combined for the two nights leading in with kid dramas, but anyway. Mm. Got Spoke the well, though. Oh, thank Spoke you. well. They gave Very us some good interview. plugs on the podcast, too, didn't they? Live yeah. TV. Tamsin, did, Dave yeah. Colbert. Richo, they're all the big dogs in Australian media giving us a shout-out, so I appreciate that. We'll talk about that a bit more at the end of my run and week. But, um, Julian, how are you going down Anglesey? You going all good? Yes, good. Just just working working and, and buying bike parts. It used to be good for sales, wouldn't it? Uh, well, it's good for work, a lot of work. A lot of, a lot of work normally means you get a uh, return on your investment, doesn't it? It does. We, 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 had, a, we had a few stall visitors come through i mean it shows that there are like it, it attracts a, a crowd we had um people that had traveled interstate to come to stall just to spectate and they dropped through the store and yeah that was pretty cool did they just to say yeah on the way to geelong is geelong on the way to stall from Adelaide uh, or something? geelong's probably the place that you want to stay at like in if you go to stall and have a day either side or something you stay down the coast uh we also had the the, the surfing on the ripcal pro and had some um, some visitors for that come through too. So it was good good weekend in July. That's good. How are you um, you running at all? Still nothing on Strava? Uh, not running, but I'm cycling, uh, doing mountain biking. That's been that's actually been fun. I'm getting my heart rate up on these rides. I'm not very fit, but the, the mountain biking it's quite difficult when you ride around here. There's a lot of steep, sharp hills, and and then you and they're pretty technical so a lot of effort and intensity involved in climbing the hill i'm in the gym a bit yeah but i, I went and saw a sports doc last week my the, like the the fellow anthony hipsley who who's helped me in the past before and we chatted throughout the scan results and and the, the pathway forward and the when my return to run uh then the he like we're treating it as bone stress injury which it is and i've only had probably four to five weeks off now so i reckon one to two weeks before i start start picking it up again jogging and then just managing load a lot better than what i was knowing that i can fall over the the cliff when i go when i i do too much which i didn't really know before i got the after the surgery this was the first flare-up but it also was a really bad flare-up it would have been nice to kind of get a few warning signs before I really cooked it. Um, but that's a warning sign now. It's a strong one for the future. I just got to be a bit more careful with my loading. So, so is yeah. it as stressy? Is that what you're saying? In the knee? Well, it's bruising of the bone. And that's a result of no cartilage between my kneecap and my femur. And the patella, like the gliding, is creating like almost bone on bone friction, which creates bone bruising. Um, so. Slow to heal, bone bruising. Yeah, it is. You can't rush it. There's nothing you can do for it, really. It's just, um, it's it's like a bone stress injury. That's how you treat it. Well, okay. And then that's t- that's time and rest. So, but does, does I, that mean though, Moose, because you've got no cartilage there, it's just going to keep coming back? Well, if you do too much, it is. And at the moment, the like the th- slight. Th- well, one of the theories is that it's gliding very lateral because my VMO is so weak and so the, the patella tendon is um, kind of pulling the patella 
out of the groove to a degree, out of the best part of the knee, the, the knee groove. So um, the VMO, as it gets stronger, will pull it a little more medial and, and create a better, uh, like, I guess, a, a better glide with less out of the bone on bone section with more cartilage there. Mm. Yeah. Big theory, big theory, but we're working on it. Okay. Give us some other things that have been happening in your life for the week. So you've been riding a bit? Yeah, rode a bit. Uh, Pia, she's getting bigger. That's been fun. She's getting a bit of personality about her. She's slept through the night yet? Yeah, yeah. She's been doing that since like, <laughs> since mm, I reckon maybe six weeks. She's Ooh. she's a gun. Six she, weeks? She is a gun, I'm telling you. she's. That's a snoo right there, Croaks. <laughs> you boys were writing it off, but I tell you what, we just sold it to Ali actually, and she's been hearing all our stories of the dream baby. Cost, so, plus, cost plus 10%? <laughs> it's an investment, yeah. Croaks. <laughs> what kind of businessman doesn't... <laughs> uh, no, it's, she was in the gym with me yesterday actually doing a bit of physio review on my workout. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, she's kicking along in her pregnancy and uh, we had our... Well, what did we do this week? I, I rode on the long run with the fellas. So that was Sunday morning, 30K. Boys are starting to pick it up for Gold Coast. So lot more time out on the trails uh just busy in the store it's been really good like it's been pumping in the store uh, so that's just been taking up a lot of my energy that and searching for bike stuff on the internet actually i take a few detours home but via the bike shops i'm obsessed with it and i just like don't, i just want my bike to look the best i don't want to have the best looking bike on the trails that's my goal i'm scared he's going to become a cyclist here croaks he just loves spending cash. No, this is, this I'll just run starts. out of money. I'll run out of money before I could become a good cyclist. Duathlon. There it is. I can't run, though. Well, you will be able to <laughs> at some point. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, no, it's, it's been fine. Like I've, When you know you've got a time frame on something, it's fine. So knowing that I've got the bone stress and I've got a couple of weeks, two to three weeks like left, I just find my zone of cycle for however long gives you a sore lower back the cycling though shit really like that that position you're in yeah Bree and i went out for a cool ride on on friday actually we went and rode first date first no pier date and we went for a bike ride and it was like out the back of anglesey we um rode out to bamborough which is like a small rural town just through the otways and yeah we went a bit far on the way back, like Bree was cooked, <laughs> and yeah, it's all fun and games until you get to the turnaway round point and you realise you got a sore back and your legs are tired and you've run out of energy and you've got no water, and then it's like a really tough hour, hour, hour back. Uh, oh well, a couple more weeks and then uh, see how things are progressing at your end. Yeah, yep, I'm I'm good, Danny. I just like watching. Watching you win, Brady. Watching your success, that just, that keeps me going. <laughs> sure it does. I'm waiting for smart-ass shit in, in about 10 minutes' time when I start talking about it. Someone who has been doing a bit of running, 153K the last week, his biggest week in 12 months, I think. Oh, boy. He's, he's about 10 days out from his big race, the Sydney 10K. They've released the elite field, and his name was on it. Brad Croker, talk us through this week. <laughs> Get it right at the right time, yeah. Brady, yeah, I've um, yeah had another pretty good week. Weather's been awesome. I know we spoke about it a few weeks back that this is the best time of year, but then 
when we spoke about that, the weather was real shit for the next week, but this last week was just awesome. It was like cool mornings, no wind. Um, so yeah, Monday got out for an hour. Four twelves. Listen to the Oliver Hoare interview that you did, Brady. So well done. He's good, uh, isn't he, Ollie Hoare? Yeah, yeah, pretty open, honest. Um, yeah, that no, was was enjoyable. So made the hour go by pretty quick. So that was Monday. Uh, Tuesday, just treadmill in the morning for thirty five minutes, and then out to the track that night for ten by a k, off about a minute. Um, I did it with two other guys, and they were running like. They wanted to start more like 320s, and I'm like, oh, it's probably getting a bit like slow. Like, I just don't feel like there's much point to that. So I was actually giving them sort of a head start, um, about 10 seconds, and I'd sort of catch them at various points. And yeah, you know, um, but it was a, like really good session. I actually wore the um, Alpha Flies for the second time ever. Uh, it's been basically a year since I, I last wore them. Uh, because my next percent, I think, had done. Like, I can't race in those anymore. They've done too many Ks. Um, and so I just wanted to see whether the Alpha Flies felt good um, to race Sydney 10, and they did. So that'll be my my race shoe. And, yeah, so I think I averaged, like, 3.08s for the whole session. Um, slowest was, like, 3.15. Fastest was three minutes. Um, yeah, recoveries were anywhere between a minute and sort of 70 seconds. Um, yeah, so I was really, really happy with this session. Like it didn't feel like uncomfortable, like none of the reps felt uncomfortable. Could have definitely done a couple more. And I've just been really happy with the progression. Like when I first, uh, did my first session back after COVID and my calf was six by a K and my heart rate was through the roof running three thirties. And then it went like, I think three eighteen or three fifteen average maybe, and then three twelve average and then three oh eight average so I was, I was really happy with how that session felt especially for the volume um like i think for the last five average about 305s um which you know back in the day I used to just do six and you know i'd probably run maybe average three minute k so i think the the strength's definitely starting to, to come back so i was happy with that um then uh, wednesday morning got out for my 90 minutes and listened to the jeff risley interview so that was another really enjoyable listen and um yeah made 90 minutes go by so quick so i actually started the interview a bit before the run and then listened to it on the way home just to fit it all in so that was 21.7k um 409s uh thursday was my sort of 45 minutes and strides day um so 413s and then i was like i was um and ahhing all week about going and doing like an all-out mulligans loop and I don't know, I just sort of, I just felt like I was, like I've been training really smart and I'm just like, like why sort of push the envelope? So I was going to do it on the Friday and then I sort of went, nah, I'll just jog or maybe I'll do it Saturday. So Friday I ended up just doing an hour um, at 410s and then did a run on the treadmill in the afternoon, just 35 minutes. And then it got to Saturday and I'm like, nah, stuff it. I'm not, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. It's been, it's been working really well. So I jumped back on the treadmill and did six by six minutes off one minute rest. Um, and this was another little progression from what I've been doing. So I don't know when it was like six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, when I first started doing these treadmill sessions, I think I did four of them at like 17K an hour or like 330s. Um, and now I'm up to doing six of them at uh, 320s off a minute rest. So that was another pretty um, pretty enjoyable session. Heart rate wasn't, you know, super high, sort of that low 
sort of low 160s that generally sort of sitting at. Uh, that afternoon went out to Mulligans for a lap, 4.15s for 30-odd minutes, and then uh, two hours again on Sunday. So I started out at Mulligans, and then on the way back, um, I decided to run, leave the car at Mulligans and run home. You know how sometimes when you're doing a run and you you get close to being back at the car and then you do these a, a loop from there for, for the, another 30-odd minutes, it's sort of it's mentally a bit tough sometimes. So I decided just to leave the car there because we're heading out to Viv's parents' place for lunch. So it was on the like it was on the way anyway. So I then just decided to run home. So um, yeah, two hours, four oh sevens for yeah, hundred and hundred and fifty-three k week. So um, look, body's feeling good. I think my fitness is pretty good. Um, like yeah, like in terms of like I don't know where my fitness is actually at, but since twenty eighteen, this is the best like. I felt like I've been moving in that whole time. Like I've had a couple of decent results in the last three years or like patches where I've got myself fit, but I haven't felt good running. Whereas I feel like my fitness is pretty good, but I'm actually moving better than I was, you know, in the last three years. So that's encouraging. It's a good week. Two hours at 407, 90 minutes at 409s or whatever it was. Two good workouts. Is he mm. what? Yeah, and 150k total. Like, if you run 29.45, I wouldn't be surprised. But if you also run 31 dead, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Just because I'm yeah. not sure like, where you are actually at. Yeah, like, and, the and intensity is going to get you. I think that's what's going to get you. Yeah, and that's why I probably should have done maybe like a hard effort beforehand. Like I was chatting to Ben um, Wisby, who like was coaching me before, and. Like he suggested like a three to five K sort of time trial, which ideally would have been like late last week. But I'm also happy to go into this as like a like I actually think like I ran three minute I ran one three minute K during that ten by a K session and it, it didn't feel super quick and um I feel like my strength like I I don't think I'll run thirty minutes. I, I personally think I'll be between like thirty thirty and thirty one thirty, like in that sort of range, depending on the conditions and you know, I think for me I just need to make sure I don't cook it early because as you mm-hmm. said, like I just haven't done a lot of the quickest stuff. But then, you know, like I went and did hills tonight and I did hills about a month ago and I definitely felt stronger again and I feel like like that sort of gives you a bit of speed and power anyway. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't look. I don't know where I'm at, but regardless of the result, I'm not. I'm definitely not going to change the way that I've been training because it, it's enjoyable, um, and I've seen progression in like my fitness has definitely improved over the space of six weeks or eight weeks, however long it's been. And I wouldn't say that I've absolutely nailed myself on any of the sessions. So I'll, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, and um, hopefully, what I look if Sydney Ten goes well, what I plan to do is use. Mm like try and race maybe a bit more often, keep training well within myself, but then have the races be the hard effort that brings me up. Remember we spoke about that's what Crichton sort of used to, yeah, that yeah. was his That was his method was like, you know, you go away and train for three weeks, but you don't flog yourself in those three weeks, but then you go and race and that race then brings you up a level and then you go back to training, you know, within yourself, but hopefully at a you know a bit of a, a slightly higher level because of the race that you've done and then race again so we'll see how that goes mm, we'll have a guessing competition we'll talk more about it next week predictions but um yeah it's going to be a fascinating guessing competition i think for the result there 
Chuck one up on Instagram yeah, a competition. I reckon, you reckon? Yeah. Running company Geelong got a prize down there. Something sitting. You could give your sa- you could give your sash away. I reckon. Nah, mate, the sash. The sash is going you to could. the store. Do you reckon you put it in the window? Price. I put it out the back. I said. I thought it was in the office. Put it out the back with all my trophies. <laughs> um, I'm going to carry my week. Okay, Monday, sixty minutes in the morning, four forty twos. And I forgot to mention, boys, that they opened the new bridge last week, but I hadn't run over at that stage, so that's why I didn't talk about it on the podcast. But on Sunday last week, um, all the residents got to walk over it before it was open to traffic, so that was pretty cool. And they had, like, paddle stammers going underneath, and they had aeroplanes, like, flying over the top and doing, like, forward flips and stuff and, like, ice creams and coffee machines on the bridge. And it was like, yeah, there was, like, 10,000 people walking over it. It was pretty cool. So on Monday, I wanted to run over it, but they it was still closed. It wasn't open until like midday when um, Barnaby Joyce was coming to cut the tape and stuff. So Barnaby Joyce? Barnaby Joyce came in. Why yep. the fuck did Barnaby... Why was he the one? I think our electorate is um, national. Oh, yeah, nationals. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. We're country, mate. Country out here. Oh, I think it's a pretty safe seat grim. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but imagine that guy being... Your leader. Well, well, he wasn't there for the actual... He's not actual our MP from our area, but someone from the Nationals this year. So he was in town. But I'm not sure why he didn't go on the day that everyone got to walk across. They had like a special ceremony the day after. So anyway, my... Yeah, that's it. My 60-minute run, um, yeah, I tried to get onto it, but I couldn't get on. The fences were still up, so I just came home. And then on the afternoon, I did get to go over it. It was open up in the afternoon. So I kind of did 15 minutes out, 15 minutes back on the new bridge. And it was so good. It's like, it's weird that it's in a chuka. Like just a bit of infrastructure like that's just almost too good for our town. Just feels a bit out of place having a nice, nice new bridge like that there. And got some hills on it. And it was like, um, remember when COVID happened and there was like lockdowns and then everyone like discovered like exercising for the first time. So like all the bike paths and stuff are like packed. That's what it was like on Monday afternoon. Everyone in town just wanted to go for a bike ride or walk or take their dogs out, and there was just people exercising everywhere over the new bridge. So there's some pretty good vibes out there. Saw a few people I knew, and, um, yeah, great for the town. Tuesday, got out for a track workout. Um, It was 1K hard, 5 minutes recovery, 600 metres hard, 3 minutes recovery, and 400 400 metres hard. and that recovery is like walking around, like full recovery, trying to recover as much as possible. Pretty generous like amount of time, but we definitely needed it. I did the first K in 242, um, and then I did the 600 in 135, and then I did the 462, and and that hurt. Like the speed, it's 2K worth of workout, but it felt like I'd been out there for like 15K. Like you just get lacked. I had lactic in my arms and stuff, like whole different hurt, that kind of speed. Um but I was reasonably happy with it. Like the times aren't amazing, but considering like the condition of our track, I was um yeah. I, I thought if I could do that workout, it'd put me in good good shape for stall coming up, which would have been like six days after this one. Um, Archie did that with me as well, so it was good to have some company. And then I got out for thirty minutes in the afternoon at four fifty three pace, and then it just cooks me. Like Wednesday was struggling sixty five minutes at four thirty nines, and then thirty minutes in the afternoon at four forty threes. Thursday I was still struggling. Like, I think it's just biomechanically. When you go on that pace, for me, it's so much quicker than I'm used to running. Like, things hurt that just don't usually hurt. Um, so it takes me like two or three days to actually feel decent again. So on the Thursday, I did 95 at 4.34. Trying to find, we've got a new fun run starting up in town. And I'm on the uh, committee for it. And we're trying to find some new loops um, for a 10K and a half marathon. And I tried to find a couple, but one was a bit long and one was a bit short. So I've got to 
get back out there and see if I can. Um... You know where to go. You know where to go. <laughs> what do you mean? The industrial <laughs> estate. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's not going to be. Come on. It's not going to be great. Not going to be great for the scenic car conditions and stuff. Or the course that you did your half marathon Mate, on. that was legit, that one. That yeah, was... but like, no, why, don't have, why don't you have a fun run out and back? No, it's the whole thing is going over the two bridges now. I can go bridge to bridge and do, like, this lap of, like, through the old port, past the paddle steamers, through Moama Beach. Like, you get to view the river and stuff, not just, like, a 10K out some country road, do a U-turn. That's not going to get people into town. So, um, yeah, we're trying to map the perfect route at the moment, which I haven't got right. And then Friday was my second workout. I did this with Archie as well. I did five by five minutes at like 3.15 pace off 90 seconds. Just a, I got rolling a bit in the last one, but just a nice little workout, nothing too hard. Kind of that close to the race, it was just like just something to tick the legs over, not something to try and gain fitness from or something we had to recover from because he was also meant to be racing a mile yesterday in Bendigo. Remember that Dragon Mile race I did a few years ago, the one at the yeah. Easter Parade? But they cancelled it because it was raining. Um, so he missed his race. 25 minutes Friday afternoon, did, easy. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> wait, go back again. They did what? They Yeah, they cancelled the parade because it was raining. Oh. And then because the parade is why the roads get closed, then they couldn't run the, the mile road race that happens before the parade. So not great for him, like sat in the car, drove to Bendigo. We kind of worked out his train around it and then got there and, yeah, pretty much got told, go home. So um, that wasn't good. Uh, Saturday, caught up with Dave Alcock. He's a, he's a listener, runs, comes to Echuca every Easter. So I go for a run with him pretty much every Easter. One of your coaches Alcock. too, Moose. Yeah, he's a run strong yeah. man. He was telling me that when he was jogging. So I had a good chat with him. He comes up every Easter. Took him out to Barma last time. Showed him some horses, some Brumbies out in Barma. But this time um, we just stayed local. So 60 minutes with him and then 30 minutes and some strides on Sunday because I was racing on Monday. We've kind of spoken about it already. But, um, yeah, the stall gift, handicapped mile, Herb Hedeman. I was a front marker off 130 metres with, um, with another fella, which was kind of good having somebody else off the same mark as me. Pat Hagen, his name was. I think he's from Queensland. He'd come down for the race. Um, I was super nervous for this race. I think because I knew I had a mark that was good and going to put me in a position to win the race, I was feeling that extra pressure. And um, and even beforehand, like the days leading in, I was getting a bit negative. Like I kind of wanted to do the festive Easter stuff with my family and cousins and you know get on the beers and eating the chocolate Easter eggs and kind of like, you know, those things you kind of sacrifice a bit when you got a bit of a big race coming up. So um, I was kind of thinking, what am I doing this for? Like, I've done this years ago. Why am I back here? Especially with you two boys pulling out. And then Nitter, well, he also pulled out last minute as well. I'm like, everyone's pulling out. I could easy just, like, pull out here. But went over there, pissing down rain the whole the whole drive over, like, two hours, which I thought was going to help me because I, I'm a bit, like, you know, more 5K focused than, um, than 1,500. So a wet track makes it a bit heavier which helps like the strength guys over the speed guys. And then, um, yeah, went over, got got in there, kind of put my bag down, did a warm-up, ran it. It was run a bit late for timing. I um, I thought I was going all right for time and then had to cut my warm-up a bit short just because I thought I was going to um, yeah, miss the start, but got there all good, did some strides. And then gun went and, um, and Pat, who I was off with, he went to the front, which was good. 
because I didn't really want to go gun to tape, and I thought if this kid went off hard from the gun, at least I could kind of hopefully use him as a bit of a pacemaker for the first lap. And then I'd sat down with a couple of mates who used to used to run a lot of pro races back in the day when I used to do it, you know, five, oh, probably more than five years, 10 years ago, me mate Noel and Kramers and, and Fisky, we kind of come up with a bit of a plan that if I was going to put myself in a position to win, I kind of had to make sure the, the back and the middle markers didn't get a sniff. So the plan was to go hard 400 metres into the race um, and try to try to gap the field. So when those guys looked up with a lap and a half to go, we wanted to try and yeah give the impression that their race was over because there was no way they were going to pull me in. So sat behind um, yeah Pat for the first 400, and then someone yelled out the times as we went through 400 and yelled out like 63, 64. And I thought that was kind of like maybe a touch slow because I thought you have to run like maybe four minutes to win this race, and that's spot on like four minute pace. And then I just went to the front and just, um, yeah, tried to keep the foot down, put a bit of a kick in at 700, and then another kick with about 350, and then just ran scared. It was, um, yeah, one of those ones where I wasn't sure where anyone was behind me, and I and I couldn't really hear the commentator in the stadium. And then, I just saying to Brad off air before, with like 150, 180 metres, like the crowd was just getting a bit louder and louder, and I thought, I'm about to get swamped here, like there's going to be some guys coming up on my shoulder and then yeah kind of went into the home straight and looked up at the big screen and there was kind of no one there kind of one by yeah one by four seconds in the end um which was which is pretty big gap in that kind of race and uh i ran 402 which is yeah not you're not startling quick usually that race is kind of one in four minutes and when i won it 10 years ago that was one in four minutes so um maybe a bit slower due to the wet track but yeah good to get some prize money good to get another stall sash and um yeah, it was it's a it's a it's a unique experience stall because it's very different to anything else that I do running. Like it's so different to road races, it's so different to any Vic Miles Club or track and field stuff you do. Um it's it's really in a league of its own with their old traditions and, and the history there and like the T V coverage and the money and the, the gambling component. So um yeah, happy to jump back into that scene and to uh, get a win again. So made the most of the mark, had a good mark, made the most of it, and um, happy man. What happened after the race? You just sell it like you hang around the track for very long? Um, signed I talked, a few autographs? Yeah, signed a few actually. Did sign a few, posed for a few photos. And when I when I was signing some autographs, I'm like, I feel like a fraud. I'm literally telling that to the dad of the kid's shirt I'm signing. Because I'm like I'm the I'm the front marker who's just won this. Like I'm not I'm not the best person in the race. Like it's the the better runners are behind me, and I've just you know ran ran up to the handicap that I well, was. Well, not given. really, not really. That's what I saw when I watched that footage. Was you were actually there were very fast guys behind me, Moose. As, on the yeah. day, your fitness level, you were probably from third to fifth fastest in that race. Yet you were. You were marked as the slowest in the race. That's the that that's why you From won the by footage. eight hundred meters, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So like watching the race, you were you were much faster than like every everyone behind you, probably bar maybe four four people. You you were the faster athlete going into that race. Well, there was a there's a three forty four guy, three forty five guy, three forty seven guy. Yeah, they in the yeah. field. And then, and, then three, and then lots then of mid three, and then lots of mid three fifties, which is yeah. which is basically where you are. There's two three fifty twos, 
Yeah, and then a lot of like three fifty five guys. Yeah. And and but that's the thing, like you are fitter than them. Well you clearly were. Yeah, well, I, I've I come a long way the last six weeks too. Like what probably worked well for me was I did that race at Vic Countries and got a time next to my name and then and I've got fitter. Whereas a lot of these guys as well, they've had long track and field seasons where they're hitting their PBs at Vic Miles clubs in, in Feb, March, and they're probably on their way down. And the, and the yeah, and the dynamic. Sorry, Brady, go on. I'll... No, I was just saying, and I'm on the like I had the time off over over December, Jan, and I'm on the way up. Like I'm starting to get fit now, so it's my season's been a bit different than a lot of those guys on the race. And I also think like Archie and I training on grass and like a, a crap grass track. Um, so when I go to race on it, it doesn't worry me. Whereas a lot of these guys are used to synthetic and and paced races and things like that. So um, yeah, that that plays a factor as well because my time wasn't. Like a few people said, oh, you know, you, you know, you kind of, how much did you pay the handicap or stuff like those comments? And I'm like, well, I ran 402 off 130, which is worse than the time I was handicapped on. Like I was handicapped to run 404 1500, and I've probably just run a 406 1500. So I've just What's, ran. These times, like you didn't run 1500 though. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. So if I was to run a 1500, I probably would have run a 406 or 407 1500 which is slower oh, yeah, than the time I, I had submitted. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's you only wet, run... It's a wet track as yeah. well. You only yeah. run as fast as you have to to win. Yeah. yeah and the yeah, way... That, and, and I think the dynamic as well, because as we said, is your fitness was probably a lot better than actually what your handicap was. So the fact that you were out in front to start with, then you ran hard, it meant that you are probably pulling away from a lot of those guys. And so that got to the 600 to go and those sort of middle markers to back markers look up and like, there's no way I'm, there's no way I'm catching that. Whereas if you if you cruised early, it probably yeah, would have given them a bit more a of a sniff, sniff and actually yeah. kept them kept them pushing harder. Whereas you, you know yourself, like if you look up in those handicap races and there's a lap to go, and somebody's like 80 meters in front, you're like, well, there's no way I can catch that up. Why am I why am I busting my ass now for the next 400? Yeah, and that's what we wanted to do, like really optimize on that mark and play to our strengths and yeah, try to try to put things away early on. Yeah. Um, which it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't crazy fast though. Like it was, yeah, two hundred eight through the to the eight hundred. Um, but as you said, that two hundred eight might be different on a synthetic track. But yeah, and it was, was two hundred eight minus your. No, no, no. I ran two laps. Oh yeah. In okay. two hundred eight, yeah, yeah. Wait, oh, so you get four hundred meters from your exact spot where you yeah. started? Yeah. Oh, so you, they've got all markings on the track, and you go out yeah. there, and then, yeah. You can kind of check some of the footage sometimes, or I don't know who. Are you look, are you allowed to wear watches? You actually are. Yeah, that rule got changed a couple of years ago. So a few people wrote wrote in after we spoke about it last week, saying that rule doesn't exist anymore. Um, I still didn't. I was like, I'm just going to do this on feel and just just try to win. Um, but I was I haven't been that nervous before a race in so long. Like I thought I had COVID standing on the start line because my heart was like coming out of my throat. Do you, you know, know why? And those mild, mild guys, they all fit. Like, I'm lining up next to them going, all these guys are going to smoke me. They've got veins coming out their calves. They're, like, tanned. they got, like, they, you know how they're all tall and they've just got, like, good techniques doing strides they're 100 the meters, straight. But they're 100 metres behind you, mate. I know, but I was, that, it just goes to show what happens, like, pre-race. I was, like, I was, like, I'm so nervous and I'm, like, I, I'm going to get smoked here. I'm too old for this stuff. But once the gun goes and you're like, there's a plan, execute it. Like, it's a very simple sport when you break it down. It it looked easy. 
yeah. <laughs> that's what it looked like. No one even challenged you at any point in the race. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it looked like that because two minutes ago <laughs> at the start line, I didn't feel oh, yeah, like yeah. it was about to look like that. But you always get more nervous when the expectation's there. And I think you knew like you had mm. a massive chance before the race. So yeah. um, if you were off, race to lose. Yeah, if you're at the back and you're against the 342 guy, of course you're not going to win. So you don't care. You don't get nervous. But yeah. when people are almost or you're more like yourself, you're expecting to, to do well, which you, you knew that there was a chance you would win. There's going to be nerves when you know there's a chance you can win. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was good. And I might just talk about the women's 1K while we're here. Do you want to just quickly do that? Because that was yeah, okay. that was the race of the meet. Like, that was where they had um, – well, the back marker was Kat Bissett. She ran the whole – no, it was Linden. Linden Hall. Sorry, yeah. Linden Hall ran the whole 1K. Cat Bissett had two-metre head start. And then they had Abby Caldwell and Georgia Griffith, seven-metre head starts. And then Sarah Billings, 12 metres. Then Natalie Rule, 14 metres. Tess Kersup Cole, 15 metres. And the front marker was Melissa Duncan, 18 metres. So they were super close together. If you think about what I'm just talking about in my race, like I had 130 metres. Um, so we had bigger gaps, but this was fascinating to watch because they started so close together. And then I'm not sure you've watched it, Moose, or not. I know you have croaks. I know I didn't watch this. One. They kind of it was interesting because a lot of you know inexperience amongst them running these kind of races, and they kind of all had a bit of a go at the front croaks. It was like they weren't sure when to go or when to have their kicks. And um, Melissa Duncan was the front mark and took it out pretty strong, and then. Uh, Nat Rule came around and looked really strong, looked like she was going to win it. And then Abby Caldwell looked like she was going to win it. And then Georgia Griffiths kind of come through and, um, yeah, she got the win in 2 minutes 40. Abby Caldwell was second is 2.41. And Lyndon Hall came from the back to also be third in 2.41. So um, fascinating race. And, and, like, they flew them in. Like, they flew them in from Melbourne, got a little plane. And, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool to look after them that way. And, um, yeah, good to see talent like that getting around. Yeah, that no, was a good. Yeah, race. it looks like a good field, very yeah. good field. And it's such a tough. Like I think what made it hard was like one k is such a brutal distance, and so if you're giving somebody a start and you overcook it a little bit in that first six hundred to try and make up the gap, you've put yourself into a massive debt deficit, and then that's when the bear jumps on your back. So like a one k when it's an even race, that distance hurts as it is, but then trying to either make up distance or, you know, go out hard and extend it early. It's just going to put people, you know, in a lot of a lot of hurt from a long way out. Yeah, and I think you can say what you want about handicap racing and stuff and, you know, the best person, you know, in that race is maybe Lyndon Hall and then and then Cat Bissett or Cat Bissett and then Lyndon Hall and they don't win. But I think it does have that entertainment factor that you're not sure what's going to happen. And yeah. sometimes that's good because we've watched, watched Cat Bissett win every 800 this season and it's kind of like the scripts followed and you know what's going to happen before the race mm. actually happens whereas this is kind of like the unknown factor and yeah. you can tell with their racing tactics that they also didn't know what was going to happen like Nat Rule looked great with 400 to go and she got beaten by eight seconds like yeah. it's just if you can't get the timing right it's um yeah these races that sort you out pretty quick but do you know what like I actually don't have an issue with like pro running in it so like the theory behind it is great the it's the application where the issue is like if you rocked up to those races and you knew that everybody on that start list had equal opportunity of winning 
I would be all for it. And that's, you know, largely how it should be where you've got multiple people fighting it, fighting it out down the straight. But in reality, it doesn't happen. And, and you know, it, it can't because, like, the handicappers have to obviously just work off information that they've been given or a lot of the time they don't even know the information. So there's always going to be people that are handicapped out of it and there's always going to be people that have too generous of a handicap and that's where it's not a good spectacle. But mm. if you could guarantee that everybody on that start line, if they ran to the best of their ability, has a chance of winning, then pro running would be awesome. Mm. And obviously doing something right, like it's the TV coverage and the prize money. And um, yeah, I just, I'm not sure how or what athletics can do that they do to to capitalise like they do. Like obviously athletics, track and field, well, I guess it does have the history, but not as much as stall. But when you're over there and in person, you're like, this product works. Um, and there's a few different components to it, why it works. And even the fact that they just, I don't know they have to do it for the TV coverage, but they just roll, it's race after race. There's hardly any gap and they're just efficient and it's smooth. And every race that happens is kind of exciting because you're not sure who's going to win. Um, there's no dull, like lull moments. Um, yeah, I know I've had this conversation every Easter, but <laughs> here we go again with Pro Chat. But anyway, it was good. So um, yeah, back to back to family life. No bender and um, yeah. We'll go again, something else soon. Thanks to Patreon supporters. I must oh, say yeah. thanks to all the listeners. It's, it's, if you feel like a bit, because a lot of people write in and celebrate, and I was just telling you guys a story off air how our postie was like knocking on the door this morning saying like how she watched it on TV and you do all these kind of interviews and it's really heartfelt that, that you kind of make an impact and people are yelling at the TV on the couch for you. But it's also this weird bit around like athletic performance-wise what I did at Run for the Kids two weeks ago was much better than that, but no one, no one gives a shit. Like, well, no, people give a shit, but it's just, it's funny because of the prestige around stall, um, how much attention that comes with it. And like hearing from like second cousins that I haven't heard from for like 10 years, like send your messages and calling you because you've done this at stall. It's, um, mm. yeah, it's very, had a high school mate, like literally wouldn't have heard from him for 10 years, probably last time I won stall. Like, send me a message today, like, that was great, we watched it on the TV, and I'm like, I've done way cooler stuff than that in the last 10 years, but it just doesn't get the hype. Like, have a, like have, have a baby, maybe. Literally, I've been married and had two kids and haven't heard from this bloke at all. Um, yeah, and it's just win, like... Win stall off running 100 metres. 100, <laughs> off 130 metres handicap, and then people, like, think you won an Olympic gold medal. So it's, um, I, I'm not saying, yeah... I'm not saying I disrespect the praise or anything like that because I really do appreciate that, but it's it's just funny how different events are um, seen in the public, and that's why, like, it's on national TV, so it gets that hype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's thanks to Patreon Sports Moose. Brad, it's you know this was Monday, which means he's going to do it in his recap next week as well. No, we, he's he's starting on Tuesday next week. I tell you what, Brad, you're uh, you're not well liked down there either. They're they're not happy with you still after stringing them along for all those weeks. Yeah, that was talk, to, talk to some of the officials. They go, oh, we get with Moose. And they're like, you reckon Moose would have come? Like, it's just his injury that held him back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Moose would have come for sure. And they're like, that other bloke, though, stringing us along for weeks. Stringing yeah. us. Well with, well, with you having the handicappers in your pocket, you probably would have got 140 and I would have been on 130. No, they said they were going to give you 160, 30 metres oh. ahead. <laughs> out there by yourself. Really? Yeah. No, and you well, would have won maybe. fashions on the field. That was a 1000 bucks. You and Viv <laughs> yeah. both would have won that. Sure. Yeah, they said they had you down for 160. 
I didn't think you, I thought I thought 130 was the limit. Well, 100 used to be the limit. And I don't know how I got 130. That's but probably, um, what it, probably what it should be. Last yeah. question, Brady. Yes. How much cash did you win? And what are you going to use it on in my store? <laughs> I'm using it in your store at all. I think I, I'm not sure. I just watched on the TV. They it's said it was. two and a half grand. I, I yeah. heard him say it. Yeah, but I was talking to Brad about that off air. It's a $5,000 race. So surely the winner should get more than half of it. Oh, well, they pay down. Why are we paying down to I reckon if you win by four seconds, give it all to the winner. There's only ten blokes in it. <laughs> that's, that's why. That's why those guys should have been trying harder, crap instead of giving up. Yeah, they paid out a tenth. So second not. must have got a thousand bucks. Third yeah, must yeah. have maybe five hundred. Like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, God. I, that's, I mean, you come seventh, give that money back. Yeah, give it to the yeah. winner. I reckon. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so I'm not sure. And I wasn't, yeah, supposedly they send you an email with all the payment details. I didn't get, I wanted to get one of those big checks. You know how the store gift winners get? The one with, they win 40,000 yeah. each. They normally have to give half of it back because they've cheated through the year. Imagine 40,000. Imagine winning that. It's <laughs> uh, like a year's teaching wage for me. Yeah, it's always kids that win it too. Like from Ballarat, there's a group here. They always win it. The Pod Squad. I reckon uh, one of one of the girls was like 14 when she won. Um 40 grand. Yeah. Insane amount of money. That's crazy. And the trainers take like 20%. No, no, not pod squad. I reckon they just have – I think the rule is they have to buy a, uh, buy a piece of kit for the gym. I think that's the, the rule maybe. Oh, really? And that's the thing. We've kids. Like, they're just going to improve anyway, so they're hard to handicap. Yeah, they would be. Mm. They're gonna, they'll improve like based on experience within that competition. Yeah. So um, that's that. Let's thank some Patreon supporters though. Moose, kick us off. Big name here. Elizabeth Matthews, uh, coach, coach of oh, what's the group called? Um, Team Matthews, Matthews, isn't it? Team Matthews, Team Matthews. Yeah, I think it's is it Team Matthews? Um, she's from Yarraville in Victoria, Western Suburbs. It's I always hear this and go, oh, Luke, Luke must be a like a hard edged blue collar boy, but really he's not. He got picked up by the private school early, and he turned real soft and real punsy. Um, but his roots are in the western suburbs, Yarraville. So Liz, his mother of three children, qualified primary school teacher, took up coaching in 2012 and is an Athletics Australia accredited coach who works out of Williamstown and St Kevin's Athletics Clubs. Coached an athlete to a bronze medal at the 2018 Com Games, that was her son, and maybe works at St Catherine's School um as well but yeah like a pretty big deal when um when she coached luke to that 800 meter bronze medal like after all the stuff that's um like that that luke like went through uh with the coaching changes and all that and and then um to go back to his mum liz and i know that he was running a lot with his dad on the bike through the through like that area where they live um before that race it was a pretty cool story i reckon mm. Make a good chapter kudos, in the book, wouldn't it? Kudos to the coach, really. We all know the coach does the most amount of work out of the, the team. Yeah, 100%. Thanks, Liz, for your support. Croaks, who you got? Uh, i got Jordan McLennan this week. Uh, Jordan is from like, the Gold Coast, runs for Gold Coast Run Co and has some pretty impressive PBs, 154 for 8, 349, 1500, 813 for 3K, 14, 19 for 5, and 30, 59 for 10. He's definitely on the prove. He's 8, 13, and 14, 19 were both done uh, only recently. 
I went to college in the US for a little while at LMU, which is in um, in Los, around Los Angeles area. He's a multimedia and architecture graduate, design consultant with Metricon. And uh, boys, remember he was a member of our Steigen hashtag one team where he absolutely buried himself for our team. So um, yeah, good guy. And yeah, one to look out for over the next couple of years. So thanks for your support, Jordo. Yeah, good fella. He was a reasonably one that I reckon. He ran way quicker yeah. than what he was ranked. Yeah, smooth mover too, real rangy. He's smooth. Mm. I'm going to thank Wade Griffin from Warnable. Got three kids, I'm pretty sure. Saw one photo with three kids, one photo with two kids. So I think I've got that right. Maybe one kid was just left off the the three ki- the two kid photo. Um, Strava's been a bit quiet lately, but I reckon that's because he did the 100k Surf Coast Century in December down your way, Moose. He did. Well, you he know is, him. Yeah. Run strong man. Oh, is he? Yeah. Well, he ran 148 at the Great Ocean Road Half Marathon last year. Well, do you know, Moose, did he possibly run Comrades back in 2014? That is something I don't know. Do you know, All any, I know. any other PBs? What else you got on him? Nah, just the um, just the Surf Coast Century result coached by Neil Skulls. And, yeah, took a bit of a break to reassess goals over the summer. Yeah, you need to let the body bounce back post that, don't you? 2,000 metres of elevation gain, it said on his Strava today. Of, from the Surf Coast Century? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's interesting because it's not a very hilly 100K, but 2,000, like over 100K, it's probably, what's that, 2%. Um, it's still not that much, really. Got, when him, you can, got a like, nice beard on him too. See that photo below? Yeah, it looks a bit like you, actually. It's a real trailful kind of just ragged beard, isn't it? Not a kind of hipster one. Mm, bit of a dad that beard. That, to me, screams country boy, actually. Warnable kind of guy. Uh, country fella, probably lives out of Warnable half an hour right in the, in the farms. Looks like he can fight, I reckon. Not that we can, like, fight. And we're not saying that's a good thing, but he just looks like he can fight. Country boys can fight. Handle himself in a scrap. Co- I know him country, a country, country and coastal boys. There's some brawlers up here. Yeah, looks good. I don't know. Thanks, Wade. Good on you, Wade. Wade, Jordan, Elizabeth, thank you for your support. And I like your idea last week, Croaks, about the $5 capsicum. I reckon we've got to run a capsicum campaign. If you think the last month's content is worth one capsicum, sign up to Patreon. Supporters, 5 bucks a month, one capsicum. Jeff Risley, two-hour interview. Ollie Hall yeah. this week. Good one, too. Good what, interview yeah. with Jeff. What else yeah, has come up? There. What else has come up recently? You got you got stall chat. You got an hour a week talking about results and stuff. Training go back talk. To, go back to Road to New York with Sinead and Ali before they got famous. That was good. Yeah, you don't get that for the capsicum level, but oh, yeah, no, yeah. no. Oh, well, maybe we can maybe we can no. open maybe we actually what I could do if anyone signs up in the remaining. Hey, we got to chat about this. No, no, go I'm make, just saying. I can cut this if you don't agree with it. But what about just for the anyone who signs up on the $5 capsicum level for the next until um, May, I'll open the access to just that six six or seven episode series of Road to New York. What year was it? I can do that. 2019. 2019. So if you sign up to the capsicum level... You will then, in your RSS feed, see six or seven episodes of Road to New York, Ali Pashley, Sinead Diver, before they broke through. I reckon I can okay. do that. I reckon I can do it. Take a we'll bit of assess this. We'll, t- we'll chat about it later. Talk mm. some business. See if that works. Uh, Running News Boys, Boston was this morning. Anyone watch it? No, no, no. I saw the results that. when I got out of bed. I watched it. Turned off my phone. 
got it going. And then, um, yeah, sat there. Hudson went to daycare. Carly went out for breakfast. Me and Olivia watched it on the couch. It was a good race, both of them, actually. Women's was super close. That was a sprint finish. The lead changed about four or five times in the last K, I'm going to say. Um, and Paris Jeptier, she won it. She's at a... Paris who? Paris Jeptier. That's pretty close, isn't it? Yeah, you did all right there. Yeah, that's pretty close. She's the Olympic gold medalist. And then she also went to... Uh, New York and one New York, I'm going to say, and then she's now won Boston. So three massive wins in eight months. Um, she won and it was quick, 221.01, pretty quick for a Boston course. Ababel Yershine, I've nailed that, boys. She was second, 221.05, and Mary Nagani was third in 221.32. Three of them broke ahead with Jocelyn Jeptakai being the third, but she actually dropped back to seventh. And then they kind of played a bit of cat and mouse, didn't want to really put the foot down and kick home, which then gave like Edna Kiplegat the opportunity to catch back up, not quite to get on that pack, but she, um, yeah, definitely, I think she's like 42 now, Edna Kiplegat. Yeah, she's 41. 41. She's 42. Oh, no, no, maybe 42. Yeah, 42. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So, yeah, she had a great run. Um, did she win last year? No. I'm not sure. Maybe. Well, she got a pretty successful record at Boston, I think. So, she, yeah, she came fourth in the end. Um, top American was Nell Rojas. Um, and she, is who? Now, is it Nell Rojas? She was a top American there last year as well. Oh. R-O-J-A-S. She was the one. She was Rojas. Un- Rojas, I think. Yeah. She was unsponsored last year and come top American and then got sponsored by Adidas at the start of this year and then cancelled her sponsorship because she didn't want to run in the Adidas shoes and now she's oh, no shit. and now she's unsponsored. Holy crap. Yeah. I wonder there must have been a terrible deal they gave her us. You can just cancel us. Hmm. Well she yeah, withdrew her contract kind of thing. She didn't want want to be sponsored by him anymore. That's insane. Well, the winner was wearing Adidas shoes, but obviously yeah, it's, got, it's got to work for you. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Charlotte true. Perdue, who was in, in one position in front of her. Um, Adidas. Adidas as well. She ran 225.26. So another good run for Charlotte to be top uh, top 10 at Boston. Pretty deep field, like a lot of um, all East Africans in front of her. It goes Kenya, was, Ethiopia, Kenya, 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 Ethiopia, Great Britain. So um, Was it a course record? Uh, wasn't they were on for a while like i think through half i'm going to say they're on course record pace but then when it came down to like just two of them out in front they just kind of put the brakes on and didn't want to show their hand kind of thing until it come down to a bit of a kick down mm. so yeah it was a really good race that was that was much better than the men's race because um evan shabat he he went he ended up winning by 30 seconds and he just went i'm going to say it like 37 38k like i think i've never ran boston but when they come out of the hills does that make yeah. sense to you boys like are They're they kind of the hills there, I think. yeah coming out of the hills he just made a massive move i'm gonna say i wish i had this in front of me because i think he ran like a 13 52 5k mm. it's um, slightly downhill over the hill yeah it is um and but he this was a good field and he gapped everyone and then ran solo through the finish line and looked super strong um Lawrence Toronto was second and then bit benson kiprutu who won the year before was third. Um, so we're talking 206.51, 207.21, Um Top American, Scott Farble, he ran 208.52. So PB, I think, and another guy who left his sponsorship because he was with Hoka, wasn't he? Yeah, he 
was with um, Naz Elite. Yeah, Ben Rosario yeah. and that. Yeah. And now he's gone to Joe Bossard. Yeah, so and he's unsponsored. He's wearing a Lululemon singlet so um, mm. that he bought himself. So fancy that, being a 208 guy, first American at Boston. Um, but I guess if you've got sponsorship and it's not the one you want, it's different than when you're saying you're not sponsored. Well, I don't know about the contract stuff. I, I think that's the problem with those groups, that if you sign up with... A brand, uh, sign up with a group that's that's with a brand. You kind of have to cop that brand, don't you? Mm. If yep. if so, like Hocker as the lead, like that, the brand's going to look after you um, if you join the group. It's like it's, I guess it's a benefit and a and a um, a negative. Jeffrey Comwaro was in there as well. Had a bit of a shocker. I think he was like eighteenth, nineteenth. Um, mm. We haven't. I, ha, I don't. Ever since he got hit by that motorcycle, I just don't think we've seen the same Jeffrey Conwaro. Mm. He came. He came. He was going a bit at that last race. Was it Paris? He did where he was running through the field a little bit. Maybe came mm. third. Not you remember sure. that? Not sure. There was. He did do one. I remember, and he looked pretty good. Okay. This I'll... is what I like about Boston, though, because like it is. One, it's like the only major marathon that's actually not like a super flat course and so it does throw a lot more variables i heard an interview with one of the athletes saying that there's so like so many variables once you get to the hills in that you can even you can get over the hills but if you're cooked by that stage you actually can't make the most of the downhills like you, you you're running super slow downhill because you're cooked um which you know doesn't mm. make a lot of sense you think you go oh, yeah downhill you're just going to fly but yeah there's certainly a lot more variables at boston which um, probably keeps a lot of those second-tier marathoners in the game a bit longer and gives them a chance of actually winning it. Yeah, Musha right. He come fourth at Valencia, two hundred five twenty-three. Yeah. So um, you know, um, so you know, the Boston only has like two hundred and sixty-five meters or something of climbing. It's not crazy. It's not as hilly as Great Ocean Road. But the it's, thing is, it always looks like they're going up or down. When I'm yeah, watching today, I'm like, this looks like a terrible course. It looks like a fun course, but it doesn't look like a fast course. But yeah, they yeah. still run pretty quick there. And, and I think a lot of people, the downhill at the start probably takes more out of their Like, yes, they run fast, but it also cooks their legs for later on in the race, mm. which you yeah. probably don't get on. You don't get so much on a flat marathon. Well, here's a hot take for you. And you heard it here first. Um, when when Kipchoge goes to win this race, he won't win it. I don't think. Oh. I, I think. I think the the hills are going to sort him out. I think we we You've see, never seen him on hills. I, know, I, reckon exactly. he, I reckon he runs plenty of hills back home. I think if Chibet did what he does today, did today against Kipchoge, I don't think Kipchoge can no, cover that. Kipchoge is used to running flat, fast. Every five k is very locked in until he kicks home. Big Paul Brady. I think he's going to bash up his legs. Big call. He's not getting any younger. There's a lot of these Kenyans coming out. They're hungry. Anyway, Michael Rogan was also there. He won his para classification, but I don't think he'd be happy with his time. And I did see on his Strava that he had stomach issues early on. And, um, yeah, it was a bit of a tough day for him. He ran 225.42 for, yeah, the first position there, which is pretty cool that they've got a para. Although they've got a para classification, he went off with the elite men. So he wasn't on the start line with those guys. Um so, yeah, good work for Michael Roger over there. Coverage absolutely terrible again. You know that old-timer that they just have on Boston? Yeah. yeah that, I turned on this morning, and I'm like, 
oh shit, Olivia, we're stuck with this guy for the next two and a half hours. This ain't going to be good. Mm-hmm. And they just they just know nothing about running. I don't know how these guys get the gig. They didn't even say anything about like the top Americans in there. Um, this, yeah, I didn't didn't hear him mention Farble until like he crossed the line. I don't think they even mentioned him when he crossed the line. Um, yeah, it's like must be the cable TV feed that we get on Flow Track or something. It wasn't good. Oh, it can't it can't have been worse than Rotterdam last weekend. Yeah, yeah, I didn't watch that one. But, oh, that was that was up there with the worst. They're calling him um, calling him. Uh, oh, what were they? They referred to the shoes like. Um, carbon springs or something uh, it's just it's always the shoes they just yeah. come back to the shoes every single fucking time every single time was that the one Bruce, where they were referring to the people as number number five yeah, or yeah, number seven yeah. they, they, it was so complacent that they just forgot they just stopped trying to pronounce names and just used the name on their bib number two <laughs> is going for it now and, and number five is dropped off the back that's i mean it's probably just that's racism really to just go, nah, fuck it. They're all the same. Let's just call them by a number. Imagine if any other sport did that. That is horrible, isn't it? Yeah. I thought it was terrible stuff. Um, the other notable thing was Molly Seidel, past guest, Olympic bronze medalist, uh, DNF, didn't get to the 30K mat. All thought she was limping. Haven't seen anything. Oh, it's something about her hip, I reckon. Hip, knee. She has all the tape on her. Like That's probably not a great sign. But um, You on the start line, you're racing. That's she she's on the world champs though, and she hasn't she been picked in the world champs team? I know, I know. For, which would be a short turnaround. There is a team pick for those guys already, yeah. But I think she's on that world champs Oregon team, so maybe mm. it's like this isn't going well. Pull out and save yourself. Don't know. Yeah. Wonder you wonder how. though, why would you start a marathon with an injury? That's that's never going to end well. You know it's exactly why to do that. Yeah, but you still got to finish to get the. You got to you got to finish to get the money. Some of them have checkpoints, though, don't you? Like you get a twenty five, you'll get twenty five k, you'll get fifty percent. No, that's pacing. I I don't reckon. I reckon it's like maybe there's an appearance and then, but most of the time, I think the like the the major money is if for a finish. Otherwise, people would take the piss. Mm. Yeah, you just pull out straight away and go go to the one the next weekend. Yeah. Uh, some news out of Bowman. Croak, Wait, you did you re- mention Rogues? Yeah, I mentioned Rogues. Oh, yeah, sorry, Stomach issues that. early on, 225. Um, That's an, well, should we, like, are we going to talk about that? Dissect it. We, we, we often mention Rogues and, and how he hasn't run a good marathon. I mean, he ran 218, was it? 219, I think. 219 at that um, set up one in Sydney. And, yeah, like, didn't have a good run at the Olympics. And, and yeah, like, it's... Um, at some point, like, you've got to go, hey, Rogues, maybe your, your career is on. Like, you're a great track runner. You've run sub-14. That's that's amazing. 1352, well, like, well, well under 14. Like. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I mean. He's crushing it on the track. Why isn't it converting? I don't know. Is it training? Or is it something around pacing or what is stomach issues nutrition you wouldn't think it would be nutrition mate he got he lives in stomach issues in his um in his post on strava yeah but so for me like stomach surely you know i mean i'm i maybe haven't ever i've never really had a stomach issue on in a race but you can train like you can basically condition your stomach to to handle what you're um, putting into it like there's training involved with that it would be maybe I'm just a little bit um, 
like I, I just haven't been exposed to it myself but a lot of the time even the people that like within our group we we have Sundays where we take every single gel and at the same protocol we would be in the race to really work out what, what what's going to go right and wrong and you would hope that like those guys are doing that what do you think i don't know maybe yeah we, we try to do that like i'm sure they're doing it like you do it you know six weeks out and every sunday you're, you're practicing is this too many gels is this not enough gels how'd you feel at the end of it what was happening with your guts um yeah you think you'd be so fine-tuned that you wouldn't be put yourself like you wouldn't copper gut issue like it must get maybe it is just like a, a once off or something i don't know tell you what if you want a decent strava look look at his strava because he only puts up some real good stuff and you don't have to scroll through all the easy jogs you oh, just yeah. get he did, he did quarters in 13 42 when uh 22nd of march yeah that would have been right when he ran that massive 5k that he ran the, yeah. the fast one. like i mean that's what i mean you got a 13 52 guy to me, that got like him. If he's training as as a marathoner, he should be running two two fourteen at least, two twelve, more like two twelve for me. Three by five k, all under sixteen. Some good workouts in here. Yeah, um, but sixteen, like that's that's good work. That's a paced workout. That would be comfortable for him. Mm. Very comfortable. So I think he's like that's a that's a good workout. Mm. That's that. Uh, Croaks, you want to read through this next bit, Bowman? Uh, yeah, so Gabriella Debus uh, Stafford leaves Bowman Track Club um, due to the uncertainty over Shelby Houlihan's continuing relationship with Jerry Schumacher, and the Bowman Track Club was the key factor in her departure. So that's a, a big name to have lost because she came fifth at the recent Olympics, um, and just a few others that have left since the start of 2021 include uh, Kate Grace, Marielle Hall. Emily Infield, uh, Colleen Quigley, and Gwen Jorgensen. So, um, yeah, mass exodus from Bauman. Mm. Thoughts? Uh, I don't really have any, to be honest. Don't you? I like <laughs> Not it really. I saw this post come up, and I'm like, good on you. Because mm. that group is just like, when that news broke of her doping ban, they all backed her, and then it seems like they're still backing her, and she's still training, and like... It's the association that can't be good for the people in that group yeah i know they've like got contracts and what we're talking about before like you're part of something big up but i don't know she was saying in her post that it was like affecting her mental health and she when she you know was in that group she didn't she didn't think this is what it would have looked like with that convicted drug cheat still being involved yeah i think if you're in that group you definitely have to have somewhat of thick skin but also stay off social media because that would be, yeah, that would be pretty bad for your mental health, I reckon. But that's bullshit that you got to stay off social media, but then they go and back her on social media. Like, no one's come out in that group backing this girl. Like, how come that's they, the problem, isn't it? How yeah. come they didn't do a post saying, oh, thanks, Gabrielle, for your time at Bowman. You come fifth at the Olympics. You, like, broke all these Canadian records, yada, yada, yada. Like, you didn't she see. She wasn't there for long, was she? A year? What she did when she was there, that was pretty. And she came fourth at World Indoors the other day, didn't she? Like she's, she was she was she's, the she's one that went out hard though I reckon she Always went out hard defending her and her right? sis, and her sister's also in the squad but she's staying at this stage yeah that's mm. mm. yeah I don't know what to think of that group yeah <laughs> it's hard isn't it well just yeah I don't know and then they they go out and smash everything like their performances are amazing but mm. it's hard to be fans of them if and we don't know what 
what kind of involvement this this quote about Jerry Schumacher and her relationship, his relationship with Shelby Horhand actually is. Um, what was the quote? Oh, about what the uncertainty around that Shelby Horhand relationship with Jerry Schumacher, the head coach. Like, when, I'm not sure what that looks like. Like, is she still doing sessions with the group, or is she on the warm up track when they're on mm. the main track, or is he still writing her a program? Or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need more information about that. And I think that's she did say somewhere, Gabriella, that she was expecting like a statement to come out to clear all that up, so it, it looked better for the other group members. But yeah, it's all very hush hush. Mm. Anyway, might have uh, actually an interview with one of those boys next weekend, next week. Bowman the, boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of this. You heard of this? Mm, yeah. I've heard of this. This is big. This is big news. So hope he doesn't listen to the last five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, <man. laughs> we didn't say anything. All right. We love Bowman. Who listen to question croaks? All right. This week's question comes in from Peter Jenkins. Uh, G'day, guys. I would love to know the panel's thoughts on documenting training on YouTube. We've seen a rise of this recently. Does anything grab you as common mistakes or learnings from watching other people as they're often elite or sub-elite athletes train? For context, I'm a weekend warrior at best and just hope it could spark an interesting conversation. Cheers, Peter. I must note, Peter, your question was edited because you threw a few uh, few names in there and we just didn't want to offend anyone. Mm. So uh, thanks, Peter. It's a big thing, isn't it? Often the algorithm at my place has got me worked out yeah. as well. Every time I plug on the TV and the YouTube app comes up, I'm always got things popping up about people training. You know, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. So for me, like the common mistake I see is just because all you like these are training videos, so you see them training, but I feel like when the videos on them, they glorify a training session, and they probably run harder than they would if the video wasn't there. Um, and as we know, it's like, you know, it's good to have, like, it's good to have good training sessions for confidence, but that's not what's important. It's, you know, what you do in the race that counts. So that's probably one of the mistakes I see a lot of people doing on these YouTube training videos. Yeah. yeah I watch, I watched one a few probably, or I reckon maybe two months ago and it was like a harder long run. And at the end there was a lot of carry on about how fast it was. And you could, at the end, like the athlete was cooking themselves. And for me, when I watched it and I saw how cooked they were, and then I saw like the high-fiving and stuff about how awesome it was and this is the best we've ever done, rah, rah, rah. I was like, poor, this this bloke's going to be cooked. I I bet you he doesn't make his race Mm. and does not make his race, right? Mm. Injured. Um, because you, it's more so not so much that they've got a video on them. It's just that they're, they're like the the race is was was celebrated. Like the workout was celebrated, like you said, glorified. And we're chasing um, chasing likes, I guess, aren't we? Mm. We're chasing exposure, glory, um, attention for, and and it's ruining your training. Yeah, that um, ego stroke. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and then you can see the views and the download numbers, and it's um, it's a like fascinating one... space because sorry, to croak, so oh, like yeah, I go, often go. find like, um, like say the sweat elite kind of guys, like they'll go and they'll document stuff that that's good because you might not have seen that in the past, but then if one of those videos gets a stack of like views, 
does then the does the athlete get a chip of that like ad revenue? Or, oh, I doubt it. I or doubt their, that. their their value is being exposed on their channel. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's their, that's, that's yeah, what they get now. I would suggest that. Yeah. I would suggest that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I um yeah, I saw one today where before the session started, the coach had sent through all of the like the window of splits that they wanted the athlete to hit and the coach obviously wasn't there at the track and every single rep was way faster than what was prescribed um, for the session. And I wonder whether if the video wasn't on him, would have he just run like the splits that were required? Oh, I think I watched the same one actually, Croaks. Mm. I know that one. Yeah. Well, I heard about it. I heard about it on a podcast. And it was ridiculous what happened at that workout from the guy that was just supposed to be helping. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it takes a it takes a disciplined man to not get up and about when the camera's out, I reckon. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. If we had a camera up here in a chuka, I reckon we'd find a few extra seconds. Shirt, shirt's <laughs> off. Yeah. So why cameras are banned from a chuka moment of training. Good question, Peter. And this is, is this is good for the sport, I think, in overall. I'm not sure if it's always good for the athletes who are featured in the video, but it is great for the sport, the amount of exposure. And, you know, yeah, guys like Ben Parks who have made that um, mm. connection between rec runners and kind of, you know, training and getting that sub-three-hour marathon and kind of giving people workout samples and things like that. Um, yeah, I think in general this is all great for the sport. It's just I wonder how great it is for some of the athletes who might dig a bit deep in training, which is what Peter's talking about. But also potentially people that aren't as experienced though that watch these and think that that's what you know that's what you need to do to run well is to run faster than what the coaches prescribe like that can be a mm. risk. Yeah. Um, or seeing, you know, a top athlete like yes, there's a time and a place for an athlete to be sprawled on the track. But if you watch every one of these videos and the athletes are like that, that sort of becomes then oh okay, is that how I need to train? Um, which you know I, I don't think that's that's not good for the sport. Mm. True. Flogging yourself. Not good for the sport. Uh, Moose on the loose. Got one? Oh, I haven't been in the sport this week. I've, I'm out of the sport. All I do is just talk with runners on the shop floor. and I'm out the... pro running. Yeah, I didn't get into pro running. No, I'm... no. <laughs> uh, look, pro one was good. Good, good year this year in the pro running scene. Exposure for stall. Like, I mean, I w- if I was an athlete in Brady's race, I'd be really questioning a few things. But I wasn't. Um, be having a chat to somebody about this sort of stuff about how like, what do I have to run a marathon a few weeks before a few months before do you reckon that helps you Mark Brady um, mate I said I reckon everyone on that start line she was in the position to run four minutes yeah, off their yeah. mark and no one did it and then I was the closest that got to it you were the king a few boys um, just need a few lessons on how to run on the grass track I reckon nah I, I don't have one I'm good what I'm... about training talk then tell us about training workout yeah. Let's talk about long tempos. This is something that I give my athletes year round. It's not just marathon specific stuff. Uh, I like to do it once a month, basically, on a um, like in place of a threshold where that would normally fit during the week, during the general phase of training, and then in a specific phase we'll do it as well, uh, but be a little bit more, um, uh, maybe go a bit longer as we get closer to a marathon. So the, the long tempo, it's not a threshold, it sits under threshold. Your heart rate is underneath your, your, your lactate threshold. It's, 
for me, it's it should be done at around marathon pace, plus or minus two to five percent. So whatever you, the way you work that out, if you're say you're a, a four hour marathoner, well let's go let's actually go three hour marathoner. Uh, so that's 180 minutes, um, or no no workout pace. So you're a three hour marathon. It's 4:15. So Four minutes and 15 seconds is 255 um, seconds, seconds for that minute. And then you times that by 1.02 and you get... Yeah, or just type into Google 2% of that. It comes out of it. Does it? Yeah, yeah. well, I'm old school. You know that, right? You're doing so some you good maths here. I'm impressed. 260. So it's like, um, so four minutes... Um, so four minutes 20 per K would be if you're a 415 per K marathoner, you would do your tempo probably you would. So that's about 10 seconds, about five seconds either side. So you could do your marathon pace tempos plus or minus five seconds a K. Uh, question before you keep going. Yeah. yeah. Majority of the time you're going over slower than marathon pace. When you're talking tempo, or you actually do them quicker than, because then you're getting into that threshold kind of zone. Well, that's where it'll. Depends. Dep- if you're a five-hour marathoner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it Sorry. definitely depends on, yep. on on how slow you are or how yeah. fast you are, but it also depends on how far you're going. So, I, like this could be anything from eight k probably through to about twenty to twenty-four k. I know you've got groups like the Hanson Brooks group in. Or the Brooks, or whatever they, um, they love to do longer ones. Like part of their deal is they do. I think it's a 28k race pace tempo. Maybe a month before the race, they always travel to maybe even do it on the course. Um, I think for me that's too far. I reckon that's a little too stressful. I could never even do that based off like how I've got through even 16k of this. Um, so eight to 20k. We'll probably go around, or I'll, I've started to give more time frame tempo, so maybe like 40 minutes to to 70 minutes at this intensity. Uh, as we get into to the marathon phase, we try to aim for the same conditions as the race. So if this, if if your race is on asphalt and it's a pretty flat race and it's going to be kind of cold in the morning, then I want you to do this close to race conditions. Um, a lot of this workout is a mental conditioning just as much as it is physical conditioning. So it teaches to me, for me, I know if I'm running long tempos, well, I'm in a good mind, mind frame headspace around my pace. And obviously the fitness is there to back it up if everything feels good. So it teaches me patience. I get a chance to practice my mental strategies so when things might get a little tough or i get a little bored or i start to lose focus if it's a 60 minute tempo i lose focus around 40 minutes it's a good chance to um to practice what to do find find rhythm and also dealing with fatigue so having this so like you might do this workout i often give it two weeks before someone hits their marathon phase and they'll run 16k at uh, like marathon pace, or what I consider maybe their marathon pace might be. It might be a bit slower, might be a bit faster. And because they're not really that fatigued, because they haven't hit the marathon 
sort of block where they're going to be doing big workouts, probably a little bit more mileage. Their long runs are going longer. Everything gets a little more tiring. Um, it's often it, like a fast, they often run that faster than what they do maybe a month out from the race if they do the same workout because they're a lot fresher then. But there's a, there's a lot of benefit to running these when you are tired because instead of it feeling like the first 16K of, of the race, which it might do when you, you haven't hit the marathon block yet, doing it late or doing it when you're tired or fatigued after having eight weeks of marathon training in your legs, it, 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 it's, it simulates later in the race feels and you're doing it on tired legs and you're having to work that little bit harder. You have to deal with that, um, that more fatigue and uh, yeah, it's it, it, to me, it's like mentally, you, you probably won't go faster than what you did way back, which is um, a bit of an ego kick or a bit of an ego slap for some people, um, but it's quite good. You know uh, where it can like, be a trap though there, that people do this pre-marathon build-up, so they do 16K at like 320 pace and they're like, oh, I'm going to smash like 220 for a marathon. And then they do this three weeks out from their marathon and they run the same thing at you know, 220, uh, 322, 324, and they lose a bit of confidence. So yeah. then they start flogging themselves to be like, I need that confidence boost to know what I can do this in training and not understanding all that stuff you just spoke about. Well, the, that's where the coach comes in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a trap for someone who doesn't know what they're doing, but um, I've always found that. I've always found long tempos a lot easier outside of marathon training. Yeah, so. But then, yeah, chuck Almost it in surprisingly marathon. easier. You're like, oh, I didn't think I, that was going to roll out today. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, I like when I, I did the first one of these when Gary Town had like was coaching me at Chico. I was horrible. I was the I was I blew up at about twelve k. I was fucked. And I got back and I thought, okay, I need to do these. I did a second one while I was over there. Did it with a mate. We went ran way slower, and I got a little bit of confidence back, but it wasn't impressive. It was real slow. And then came back and I started doing them regularly, and. I, I only started to nail these long tempos when I started to marathon well. And I feel like it was a really strong link between the two because it is the same sort of like physiology, really. Mm. Like you're working in that zone and you're getting good strength and rhythm and mentally you're in a good place. I, I think it's a great workout. It's so simple, but it's a great workout. You definitely need to be disciplined as well. And this is where I think the value of a coach, because you see so many people out there will do, oh, I'm going to go and do a 10-mile tempo because that's what, you know, back in the day, like marathoners, if you run basically 10 miles at marathon pace in training, you should be able to then do that for a race. But then what people do is they pretty much treat it like a 16K time trial and they're rooted by the end of it. But then they go, oh, that's my marathon pace. And mm. it's obviously not. So you should finish these obviously not completely cooked. Yep. Good stuff in there, fellas. Uh, what's coming up, Croaks, before we go to the interview? What's happening in your life? Last week of school holidays? Yeah, last week of school holidays. Uh, yeah, not too much. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've got any plan really this week. Sounds good. Should do an yeah. interview for me. Get one banked. Yeah, that'll be it. What about that one we're talking about work. off air last week? She had yeah, a win. Might. She had a win on the weekend too. Did you see that? Yeah, I'll have to contact her. Yeah, that'd be good from you. Give me something to listen to while I'm jogging. Moose, what are you doing? I got this appointment tomorrow actually with a um, with a practitioner in Melbourne, a bit of an out of the box thinker around injuries. So I'll, I'll, 
Yeah, got to go in with an open mind. Bit of voodoo magic. Put a couple yeah, of spices know. or something in there. No. Crack I, some pepper on it. He uh, he helped Mona with Ooh. a few things. That's his sell point. That's a big thing for him. Hmm. Everyone's told me, oh, yeah, he helped Mona. So um, I asked Mona about him. said, yep, go see him, see what he thinks, listen to him, decide if you like it or not, and um, away you go. I, so, yeah, I'm... I'm real skeptical of stuff like this, so I'll be going in with an open mind. I have to practice that. That's good. You know what I'm going to be doing this weekend? Media. I oh, know. I'm going to be sitting back. I'm going to download the Hamburg Marathon app, and I'm going to watch two of the biggest dogs I know go around over there in Hamburg. Andy Buchanan and Christian from Norway, both on the start, same start list this weekend. So get excited. The cat's out of the bag. That's the one the big dog's doing. Yeah, well, about time he fucking said. Did he say that or what? You're allowed to say now, are you? Yeah, gave me permission. Said open gates. Gee, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't posted it though, has he? Anyway, not yet. He said we can have the exclusive announcement of it. Blokes never run a marathon and thinks everyone in Australia is waiting on his every move as to what <laughs> to do. Was he going to run Brady? Uh, no idea. It's always hard to pick the debut, isn't it? <laughs> always hard to Go pick on. the debut. Uh, these are things that work well in his favour. Good cross-country runners make good marathoners. Mandy Buchanan's been training for marathons when he didn't even know marathons existed. He's a mountain goat in Bendigo there. Loves the hills. So, so is, He's a strength so is the runner. Beast yeah, and a very good marathon runner. One were at Wangaratta a couple of weeks ago, the beast. Um, so what's he going to run? What's he, a 62 guy? Double that, 64, add six minutes. Ooh, could say a 210, 211, boys. Don't be surprised if you see it. What's Jeff Hunt's debut record? 211 flat. Mm, there'd be a pace going 211.30 right there. You'd yeah, think so for so. the Olympic qualifier or the world chance world qualifying champs. time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know, it's hard to pick the debut one, but I, I wish him the best as a fellow Benigo Bat team member, as I'm sure you do as well, Bradley. Yeah. And also, good luck to Christian. Yeah, big Christian as well. Hopefully he gets to the finish line. Nails this one. Um, and then the other bit of news I have here as well that we're starting to put together. Actually, I should have spoken to you, Moose, about this before I said this. The Gold Coast Marathon weekend live show up there on the Gold Coast. First week of July. Bradley's booked his flights and accommodation. I've also sort of mine, Julian. Zach is on to me today about getting things organised. So, Wait, where um, are we staying then? Uh, I don't know. Carly's booked ours, actually. Where are you staying, Craig? Somewhere up there. Yeah, I'm staying in Surface. Surface Paradise Moose. Mm. Yeah. I have to use the credit card on this one, boys. You and Bree. I have to use the inside running credit card. Hey, you're hey, you going to heave some money. You're the richest bloke on this show. Uh, Businessman. Just stop buying bikes. Bike you'll be right. How am I going to get the bike up there? Kids fly free, two under two. You're right. You'll be flying by then, Moose. Yeah, you'll, you'll be, be back in 214 shape. Look, I've got a few athletes out there. It'd be good to go and, and, and support them. Yeah. yeah. Tax deduction. It's a very good weekend. It's a yeah. it's the best weekend on the Australian distance running calendar, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, planning, Croaks has, <laughs> has got the venue sorted, we think. We're going to try and use the same venue we had locked in last year until it got cancelled. And then um, we'll do some work there. So we will give the Patreon supporters a free shot of those tickets because they're usually pretty limited before we open it up to the public. But we should have some more details about that in the coming weeks because it is going to roll around quickly, fellas. It's not long was to go. Was it like 11, 10 weeks? 10 um, or 11? Yeah, something like that. Was it 11 yesterday or 12 yesterday? Well, you're it was 11. 10. I think it was 11 yesterday. Yeah, I think it was 11 yesterday. So some marathon is starting to get serious for that race. Hmm. All right, boys, we're done. Nothing else we need to talk about before we finish? 
No, I think we're good. Uh, Five dollar thing. Five dollar thing. Five dollar sign up. Five dollar You get, you get the road to New York. Yep. Not bad that. Only for people that sign up between now and the end of April. Yeah, that's not long. That's eleven days. You better sign up. Eleven days. If you sign up in that window, you get. I think there's about eight episodes access. Five bucks. Come on. I know it's yeah. Depends your financial situation, but hopefully what we're putting out a month is worth five bucks, worth a capsicum. Red capsicum croaks, that's what you told me, didn't you? Yeah, they're the most expensive ones. Yeah, the ones, but they're not actually that expensive. They're only five bucks. Anyway, see you, boys. Yep, see, ya. see ya. The 30th Annual Brisbane Marathon Festival is coming up on Sunday the 5th of June and will be a sellout event with 8,000 runners. With a distance for all ages and abilities, full, half, 10K, 5K run, 5K walk, and 2K mini marathon on offer, this iconic Brisbane event is not to be missed. Half full and 10K participants get a free 2022 limited edition 30-year anniversary tee included in their entry fee. Enter now at brisbanemarathon.com.au to beat the price increase. Early bird discounts end at midnight on the 27th of April. All right, this week's guest on the Inside Running podcast is currently one of Australia's biggest names in Australian distance running. He recently finished fifth at the World Indoor Championships and last weekend became the Australian 1500-metre champion and secured his spot for the upcoming World Championships and Commonwealth Games. Since signing a pro contract with ON in 2020, he has set three national and Oceania records over the 1500, the mile and the 5K indoors. This week's guest is also the star of the Coffee Club podcast and the On Athletes Club, coached by Dathan Ritzenhain. Welcome to the Inside Running podcast, and uh, thanks for giving up some time, Ollie Hoare. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's been uh, we've been a name we've been trying to hunt down for a while. We've been going for yeah 230 episodes, and you've been on our hit list for a while. So we're we're grateful you made some time available, and then we could uh, yeah pull it off just before you fly home. Uh, no, thank you very much for having me. 230 episodes—that's a lot. Congratulations, yeah, well, that's had- uh, pretty sick. We had your mate Josh Kerr on a couple of weeks ago. You got a couple of mentions in uh, that interview. Luke, <laughs> Luke Matthews does a few interviews for us, and he interviewed him. And yeah, your name came up quite a lot, which was good. So maybe I'll pick your brain a bit later. Uh, yeah, all things Josh Kerr related. So um, yeah, thanks for giving up some time. And and how's things? Like you're back in Australia. I think you've only been back once since the pandemic happened. And um, yeah, I'm sure it's pretty valuable time for you with your family and stuff like that. Because you don't get back often. No, I haven't. Uh, it's been it's been tough. Uh, I know a lot of people have been affected by it in different ways, but for me, particularly, uh, I was going through that transition of getting a visa, so I had to do that two week quarantine. I had to kind of force to leave the United States and and uh, secure a visa in Australia, then head straight back um, to Australia, uh, to America. So it wasn't much of a uh, time to kind of spend some time with the family. And then this time around, it was much more of a business trip too, because of national championships and being able to get in. Um, a lot easier without doing the quarantine, being fully vaxxed and having a negative COVID test. So uh, for me, yeah, it was, it was much more a business trip. But then I got some time with the family afterwards, which was uh, extremely vital considering I hadn't spent a lot of time with them. It had been two years and a lot has happened in that two years. I know at the Olympics and a lot of other um, achievements that I haven't been able to kind of sit down and celebrate with the family in person. So 
being able to be home and enjoy that was an absolute privilege. And it was great to be able to compete at national championships as well. That was, that was awesome. So uh, overall, it's been a great trip. And the only unfortunate thing, as I know, is the weather. The, the rain's been shocking here. Um, like sunny day here right now, but it's been a shocking uh, weather for a lot of Australians and I know they're sick of it. So uh, yeah, it wasn't great weather, but it was nice to be home with family and enjoy their company and just kind of uh, refresh and rewind about everything that's been going on in my life the past couple of years. Yeah, it's been pretty much raining every day. Every day you've been back, I think. Sydney's been coughing at big time. And um, and the national champs last weekend, you'd have to be stoked with that. Like that last 800, 148, closed it in. Um, Ramson was still there. Like I'm not sure if people give him enough credit because I rewatched it today doing a bit of research for this. Like your last 800 gets all the headlines, but um, he was pretty close to you in the end. Oh, 100%. And that's the thing that will happen. Like uh, a person that wins the race will mostly get that kind of headline, like, oh, he closed in this and he closed in that. But if you look at a lot of the results, particularly the top five or six guys in that race probably closed in 151, 152, which is really impressive in championship racing. And Rambo really wanted that win and he worked hard and it was a tough fought race. And it's pretty awesome because to be able to close in that kind of race, that's like world championship type of uh, racing, you know, and to have that at a national championships is pretty exciting and it shows our depth uh, in the in the event, even without, unfortunately, Stewie and John not being able to compete, you know the depths it just shows being able to have those kind of guys. And Rambo was definitely definitely there, and it's going to be exciting to see what he does in the in the coming uh, year this season. And was that the plan going in that you'd push from eight hundred, or like was it wait and see? Like what was what was going through your head, and what did the coach tell you beforehand? Yeah, Ritz and I had a chat about it, and uh, yeah, it was technically like I actually textbook hit the plan uh, to key. Uh, the plan was to go from eight hundred out. I think from what I learned and watching the race last year, Jai was man, like amazing yeah. race, probably one of the most exciting races Australian championships has ever seen. Uh, you know, two two titans fighting it out, and for me, I was watching that race and I was like, I don't really want to lead any guys to the standard. Um, you know, and that's what Stewie did. I think Stewie wanted to go go out hard and says, if you're going to beat me, it's going to hurt, and. Uh, you know, and, and Jai was ready for it and slingshot himself to running an amazing time and winning a national championship in an Olympic year, which is which is incredible. Uh, for me and Dathan, we kind of talked about it and said, well, you're coming off a great race in uh, in Serbia. Uh, you're, you know, fifth fifth of the world indoor champs is, 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 is a great achievement. And I think that's a testament to where you are fitness-wise, but also where you are strength-wise and knowing how to race. So for us, it was about, yeah, not letting it go too quick, but also trying to really close it down. If the weather was good, which it fortunately was we had good weather that that night was to kind of take the lead and start to wind it down and just really uh put the pump on and try and hurt uh people to run that kind of kind of quick and i knew rambo was going to be there i knew i probably wouldn't have going to going to break him uh from it it was just more about ho- hopefully holding that that gap and and to keep pushing along because i knew the strength was there for my training so ritz and i talked about that we knew that the competition was going to be fierce and uh, we were able to deliver on, on that um that type of race. And it's, it's nice to be able to have a race like that. And you kind of, you have a plan and it works out. It, it was really, really nice to have that situation and also compete in a, in a home crowd and a, a home stadium. I'm a Sydney boy. So that was just, it was just ticking all the boxes. Really. It was fantastic. Got to race in front of my parents, which I hadn't done in about seven years. So um, really exciting time. And it was nice to check those boxes off and be able to compete uh, the way I kind of planned it to go. Yeah, because this was your first national track and field championship. Like, it feels like we've been saying your name now for the last three, four, <laughs> five years and stuff. And you've been on everyone's radar and then the Olympics and stuff, which we'll talk about. But to think that you've never raced in an Australian Open championship is pretty amazing. And then you come out and um, and win one. And you use the term business trip. Like, 
I guess, comparing this qualification period to the Olympics where you didn't come back and there was all the stuff on the project and kind of got a bit of mainstream um, attention here, which was good to see athletics kind of on people's TVs and stuff. But was this time all about what we can control, let's tick it. Obviously, a different climate with the COVID restrictions, um, but it was very much like let's tick the boxes we can and get ourselves on the team early. Yeah, that's definitely it. Um, you know, there's an opportunity. There's one spot there um, to take. And, and if everything's going well, which it was for me, I competed well in both indoors. I've been having a good lead up this indoor season and I'm in, a, in good shape. You know, you want to tick that box. Like um, for me with those restrictions, I couldn't do it last year. And like with Stewie and with Jai, like when things don't go to play, you know, you, you want to look after yourself and make sure, okay, this is going to be the best opportunity for me to make the team. I need to recoup, recess and go for it in another option, which might be harder, might be more challenging, but Everything was aligning for me. Um, so I wanted to make sure I came back and be able to compete in national championships is a privilege. It's not a, it's not a right. So uh, to be able to do it and to have fun with it, I think was a really important thing for me. Um, it was my first open national. So for me, I was all about just the experience. I mean, I, I kind of felt like I skipped a step a little bit because competing at the Olympics, being able to represent Australia in that kind of setting was such a huge um, part of my career to kind of learn and, and adapt and, and absorb. And to go through Australian Open Championships was something that I was nervous for. I was nervous in the heat. I was nervous in the final because it's such a different experience competing against some of the best in Australia. So uh, it was an amazing opportunity and I 100% took it. And I know like, yeah, that was the one thing that I really wanted to tick that box with. And Ritz and I were like, yeah, we're going. If it does not going to inflict with world indoors and you can get in and, and everything's going smoothly, we're 100% going. So it was exciting. Yeah, and I heard you guys talking about it on your podcast and I was kind of, I was a bit surprised how much you guys rated Australian nationals because you come from that American system and everything's bigger over there and, and you're very much in that American system kind of set up and, and Morgan kind of made a couple of examples to kind of mention that this is really important and this is a big deal. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, hearing you guys talk about it as an Australian and someone who's so in this Australian bubble was really kind of cool to listen to. So then I guess what's what's next? Like we're a week on from the race. Do you have a down week before you go back? Because it's hard to kind of manage the, you can't stay up the whole season, I guess. And our season's opposite to America and Europe and all those kind of things. So what's training look like at the moment? And then what's going to happen in the next couple of months? Yeah, this week's been pretty chill. I obviously keeping a lot of strength work and a lot of mileage still in there, but nothing, nothing out of the, you know, nothing crazy. I mean, the weather's been kind of terrible too. So you don't want to push something, slip over and, and hurt yourself at this point in time. So for me, yeah, it's just about keeping the mileage going, chipping away. Uh, I'll head back to the United States, get a bit of training in up there, and then I'll head to um, a couple of races around the Diamond League circuit just to get that experience, compete against some of the best, and really absorb a lot of that um, that racing. And I know a lot of the other Aussie boys will do the same because I think right now leading up to uh, Worlds, you know, you, you want to be – you're also you know, in great shape, but really it's about that race fitness, knowing how to race these guys, knowing what they're, what they're currently doing and how they're feeling and – you know, losing races or winning races, you, you're kind of getting a lot of insight into how it's going to lead into world, Worlds in Eugene. And for me, that's kind of the step I'm going to take now is I've got my ticket. Um, and it's a great, great feeling to have that. But also it's a lot of now it's time to do the research about, you know, competing against not just Australians, but all the international guys, seeing how they're doing, um, you know, seeing how I'm doing against them. And then there'll be good, inf- you know, insight to learn leading into those races uh, later on, those big championship races. Yeah, and I assume you committed for both of them, Com Games as well as World Champs? Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. and no, uh, obviously, you know, in some Com Games events, it's a bit easier to pick up medals, but there's no cheap medals when you're running a 1500 against uh, against those guys. So there's plenty of competition out there. 
Oh, 100%. I mean, like, look at look at the UK alone. I mean, Wales, Scotland and England all have mm. incredible runners. Scotland in particular, talking about Josh Kerr, like uh, Jake Whiteman, you know, uh, Charlie Grice for, for England and um, uh, for Wales, um, Jake Haywood. So, like, there's a, some really good talent there just in the UK. And then you've got all the um, Uganda. Um, you've got a lot of other Australian runners coming through Canada. So, it's going to be a pretty, pretty sought after um, track and field and it's going to be exciting. So, particularly being in the UK, you know, the UK athletes are going to be rising up to the occasion and it's going to be nice to come over there and hopefully uh, run on the parade. Yeah. And Kenya. I don't think you mentioned Kenya. Oh, there, Kenya. They're pretty Kenya, handy. Too. They, they, they do all right. They do yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm interested because I've watched a couple of your, you know, your YouTube things about your, about your team building and the culture you've kind of created over there. What was it like coming here and kind of losing that? I'm sure like with technology and stuff, it's good, but you seem so tight knit over there in your training group and your support system. Like what's it been like not having those guys for the last and girls for the last two weeks? Oh, it's been, it's been tough. I mean, they've been great. They've been following everything. I mean, Dathan woke up at 2.20 a.m. to watch the, uh, to watch the race and they kind of all did too and sent me nice messages. And obviously with Coffee Club, you know, Geordie's a Kiwi um, and Morgan's Australian. So they kind of understand what it's like to kind of be away from that environment. And they've been very supportive and been fantastic with it. Um, it's been, it's been sad not having them around, not having them for training, but it's also been nice because I've been able to reconnect with a lot of the Australian running scene that you kind of, you're not able to physically be there and being able to come back and be a part of it. It does feel like you've, you've kind of missed a step, but everything's the same and you've been able to kind of see how everyone's doing. And that's been fantastic too. So, um, there's kind of, you know, ups and downs with it all, but to be back in the Australian community in particular, with track and field has been fantastic because right now I think Australian track and field is just at an amazing place. And um, the athletes, not just in my event, but every event um, on that list have been doing incredible things. So to be able to be a part of that and see it, it's, it's been fantastic. And do you keep track of it? There's like, because I listen to you guys talk about the NCAA system. You know everyone and everything over there. Like, are you the same with the Australian system? You know who's coming through and who's doing what and, and all those kind of things? Or you lose uh, a bit of touch? Yeah, we lose a bit of touch. It's, it's, it's a bit hard sometimes. We lose a bit of touch, but we're able to kind of, particularly with results and seeing a lot of the meets that are coming through with Athletics Australia, which is fantastic. We're able to kind of keep in touch with a lot of that sort of stuff, particularly with our events. Um, but the other events that aren't this middle distance or distance related, we kind of lose track a little bit, but sometimes it comes back when we see results. Social media has been fantastic with that. We've been able to follow it with Twitter or, or Instagram and be able to keep in touch with things, like seeing a lot of those... Um, Olympians, you know, Matt Denny, Liz Clay, you know, just sort of out of event people doing so well. It's been nice to follow them and track them as well because, I mean, the way we know running is, is middle distance and distance. We have that kind of thing. And we're lucky and fortunate that the same time zone, the same kind of area and televised too is the NCAA. So for us, it's been able to good to track that and also be able to follow Australians there and support them there because um, when you kind of go overseas and it's just such a different time zone, it's very, very hard to track it all the time. It's nice to kind of, follow them and give them support like kind of right on the time whereas Athletics Australia has been fantastic right now and, and been able to um, cover that as well so it's been cool to cover and it's just Australians are do, doing well everywhere so it kind of gets overwhelming at some points because uh, you see a lot of Australians just killing it and I think the Americans in particular in the NCAA system are going oh no this is an Australian they're probably going to do well so <laughs> it's exciting to see that and uh, it's been good to follow NCAA wise but I feel like we lose a little bit of touch, but we're trying to get it back. And social media has been a fantastic resource for us to be able to catch up with it and also see the up-and-coming juniors that are coming through and racing well, like Jude Thomas uh, winning the Open 3K. Like, that was pretty awesome to see. And I was excited to see him in his first Open race in the 1500. And 
it's going to be awesome to see what he does in the future. So being able to follow those kind of guys that are coming through, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, even like Cal Davies, who was third in your race, like he's been around yeah. knocking on the door for a while and, a, you know, a couple of guys not there and all of a sudden he's on the podium. Like it's good to see those, those younger fellas coming through. And then take me back to the decision to go to college. Like he's had some impressive junior results here. I understand you're a pretty good swimmer. Like was there ever a decision to maybe pursue swimming or triathlon or anything like that if you had the, the swimming kind of motor there as well? And then, yeah, what kind of led to the move over to the States? Yeah, the uh, triathlon thing had, had been pushed a little bit. My dad's got a couple of mates in triathlon, uh, Greg Welsh and, and Crowey, who are, are big triathlon guys, and they were kind of pushing that. But um, it's not a, triathlon's kind of a hard sport to get into with college. And swimming was kind of tough too. Um, I wasn't like as good as I could probably be with when I was coming to my running. I was definitely a much easier transition for me. Um, but it's still tough. I mean, to get into college, it was, it was hard because academically you had to be kind of there as well. And the college I went to go to was, was a pretty sought after college, not just for sport, but academically as well. Morgan McDonald was a guy that was already there. So I was able to have that connection. I was very, very fortunate. And he had that tap in resource. And for my decision really was to be able to do both. I know um, it's a tough situation sometimes, particularly with a lot of athletes in Australia, that they, they're pursuing their, their dreams with their, not just their running, but with their education. And sometimes the education can be overwhelming. Um, and you want to be obviously very focused on that because that is predominantly going to be your future. Uh, you know, your career in running might last maybe if you're lucky 10, 10 years or so or even more. But at the end of the day, you're going to be getting a career in the future and you want to be able to have that education be able to be, um, you know, reliant in the workforce. So for me, it was, it was a big, big deal um, to be able to, I think the NCAA system was able to kind of support that both, you know, you do education, it's important, but you're also able to kind of look, get looked after with your, uh, with your running and your track. And that was a big, big situation for me. Like my parents didn't have to pay for it for college. And that was a big help for them to obviously put my brother through university as well here uh, in Australia. So, those two are big fundamental decisions. And also I saw Morgan's success, not just uh, in the classroom, but also on the track. And I know a lot of Australians now, if there was an option for them, obviously it doesn't work for everyone, but if it's an option for them, they can look into it now. And, and I feel like a lot of Australians are looking at that option and, and seeing it and seeing if it's the best fit for them because some Australians do very well, like Stewie and, and Rambo, a lot of others, they do well here at home and they, they get their education, uh, whether it's online classes or going into lectures and being able to train as well. They're able to do that. Or some athletes, uh, or some individuals, sorry, are able to go to college and able to kind of have that college experience and that independence as well, being away from Australia. So, I, I think it's a great option to have for a lot of Australians. It doesn't work for everyone, but it's a good thing to look into if you're interested in it. And that was something for me that kind of worked and clicked, and it, it gave me the results that I needed to hopefully progress not just my education but my running as well. Yeah, and obviously having Morgan's footsteps to follow in, yeah. you become so close and stuff, and then. Yeah, it just sounds like it was a perfect kind of training ground, I guess, for you with that title. Was it 2018 when you won as a sophomore? Yeah, sophomore yeah. at in yeah. Eugene, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I watched that race again last night as well. Like, you come from the clouds a bit, like you're boxed in and in a bit of trouble and, and everyone's banging, like the commentators can't even pronounce your name properly. And um, Oh, yeah. yeah. The Americans def- have a problem with that. They just don't like the word whore, isn't it? Like, they no, just no, they yeah. don't like, it was whore or whore or all that sort of stuff. And there's like, they're trying to say, oh, we're sorry, but how do you pronounce your name? And I said, it's like lady of the night. Just <laughs> pronounce it as whore. They never have an issue in Australia, but they got, they got better with it eventually. But yeah, that was a big uh, a jump through for me. I think I started getting some confidence from that and thought, you know, I, I could pursue this. This could be something that I could hopefully one day get to, to that level of either representing my country or being a competitive force in Australian um, middle distance running. 
And then you come out of college at an interesting time because co- was it just pre-COVID or just after COVID? Like it, was it 2020, 2019? 2019, yeah, COVID hit. Um, I was still, I still had one more semester to go of college. So I was yep. still in college. So I missed out on my indoor season and outdoor season as my senior year. Um, I was looking at, because I'd never redshirted. Um, I was very fortunate that I never had any issues and I just kind of went through it in college. I wanted to go and do a fifth year and do a, a master's program with Wisconsin, but the financials and the situation, no one knew what was going to happen with COVID. No one had a crystal ball and they're worried about the financials leading into it, particularly with you know, no more football, no more basketball, a lot of the funding coming from there to support these athletes. They thought, well, you got your degree. Um, you're good enough to go pro. So you're going to have to, we're not going to offer that situation for you. And, you know, it was a tough situation for me because it was either juggling, either going home and trying to pursue something in Australia or sign with an agency in the States and hopefully get a contract that can support me there and see where, see where it goes during a COVID. So it was a very, um, particularly for everyone, but for me, particularly coming out of college was a very uh, stressful time, but also I didn't know what was going to happen. I really had no um, idea if, uh, where my running career was going to take me, if I was going to stay in the States or have to come home. So it was very up and down. And then, I was able to sign with with Ray Flynn and he gave me an opportunity to look at On Running, which was a very, very young company at the time. Who didn't I didn't even know who On Running was until until I started talking to them. And they were very passionate and had a lot of aspirations and a lot of um a lot of goals that you weren't sure that they were gonna hit. You know, they had a lot of big, big talking points and you think, well, are they gonna deliver with this? Is it gonna happen? And it was kind of a risk-taking moment. And I thought, well you know, COVID's hit. I don't have many other options. Let's, let's go with it. Let's run the dice. So um, yeah, I went after it and then, yeah, it just kind of went from there. And is it true, this could be bullshit, but is it true that you didn't know who Dathan and Andrew Weeding, who works on as well, like you did, they were the two guys who were on representing yeah. like, this is who you're going to be working with. And you still didn't know who both of those are and you still yeah. rolled the dice. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a bit naive. I was very naive. I didn't know I knew I found out who Weeding was afterwards because Weeding called me and he told me who he was and then I looked him up and I was like, oh shit, this is Andrew Weeding, um, you know, amazing talented runner. Uh, but with Dathan, I didn't know who Dathan was either, and I had a couple of Michigan roommates and I said to them, oh, they're looking at this coach called Dathan Ritzenheim. Do you guys know who he is? And I kid you not, I, uh, a beer can went flying from my head and I had to duck because <laughs> one of the uh, Michigan guys was like, you cannot be serious. You don't know who this guy was. He's a legend, particularly with high school runners because of the insane high school career he had and, and everything like that. So I looked him up and then I saw his credentials and everything. He's been coaching one of my teammates, Leah, Leah Fallon, um, and a couple of others for quite, quite a while and with, uh, with a hooker group called Gazelle Sports in, uh, in Michigan. So I, I had a phone call with him and it was, it was kind of an instant click because the problems I had with Dathan was like he was a very much a marathon distance endurance runner. I was like, look, I want to be a low 330, 50-meter runner. Like, I'm also a foreigner. Like, how are you going to coach mm-hmm. me? And he kind of was able to reminisce to his time. He actually volunteer coached at uh, University of Oregon and was able to kind of see what Matt Sentiewicz was doing at the time. And, and then Weeding too, being able to like kind of follow them and see what their training was like. And I was like, well, that's, you know, that's a good answer to that question. So yeah, it was kind of a risk with those two. Uh, not knowing them as I should have known them uh, as a fan of the sport, I, that's a big cardinal sin. Um, but yeah, it was kind of because Dathan was a young coach at the time too. and didn't really have the resume of some other coaches that were, um, coaching currently in the pro world, but Dathan was making his mark and he was retiring from running and wanted to get into the coaching scene uh, 
and his commitment was 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 seen. I mean, he was in Michigan. He had to move his family, his very young family, all the way out to Boulder, Colorado. So he had a commitment there, and I knew I had to make a commitment too. So there was this mutual agreement, um, not just from athlete and coach, but the whole like kind of group is like we're making this step, we're making this progression with a young brand. We kind of want to make a statement that we're going to be a force that's not going to be around for just one or two years. We want to be around for for decades and hopefully build something up and have another you know competitive. Uh, group in there uh with another brand so that was kind of the, the the pitch for them and i was excited about that to be a part of something that's so young and kind of develop it and hopefully progress it in a good image and and get people excited about it that was the uh the goal initially you must be so pleased with how far like it's ridiculous how far it's grown your, your reach as a as a unit but also your results like the u.s trials we saw at first and then obviously you got on the team and um Klecker and now Morgan's like you know moved there a couple of years in as well like you must sit back now with those you know look at those initial conversations about potentially signing with this brand to create this thing and now look back at it only a short period of time and be like wow we're kind of we're doing all right with our legs and we're also doing all right with our feet like talking sorry your feet and and running your mouth and kind of building that community I guess and following yeah no it's been uh, it's Sometimes you pinch yourself because I particularly after a year of the group being together, we had five Olympians. Yeah. Um, and for that, that's just a tremendous testament to the athletes as well as the coach, but also the system. Like on done a great job of picking the right people, but also making sure that everyone is able to get what they need out of, of what they want to achieve. And I think Joe and Alicia in particular being Americans, like it's so hard to make those teams and there's so much pressure and everything that's building up towards it. And they, the way that they've handled it, it just shows that their maturity is there as well to be able to represent their countries. And Morgan and I as well, we just want to do the best we could for our nation, but also for the brands. Um, and it's just been a fantastic uh, whirlwind of events um, to be able to go from a year ago, people going, oh, what's that brand? To then people going, oh, that's on, you know, that's OAC. Uh, it's, a, it's a great feeling because I feel like we've, we've been a big part of that and hopefully building up a brand that's that's still uh, learning about the running environment they're still building shoes and they're still really really enthusiastic and working with the athletes and saying like we've got this shoe it's not the best shoe we have yet but we want to make it better and they're getting all these new ideas and new aspirations and on has just made a huge jump and it's really exciting to be a part of that jump and also work with these amazing people who are passionate and want to kind of push this brand to hopefully the heights that um, we want to be you know at the top with the best and that's what we've been doing right now with our feet and we've been pushing the brand as well and it's nice to be seeing that record like the brand's getting more recognized and it's been put into that conversation with track athletes competing uh and representing a brand like that it's been it's been awesome yeah and the culture around the training group like did Dathan sit you guys down and have like conversations or come up with mission statements or like that stuff doesn't really happen that quick like it's um yeah, it's, I, I work in schools and school leadership and stuff, and you kind of try and always create that with your staff. And now you look at what you guys have done, and it's like the buy-ins there. You guys seem to really idolise Dathan. He seems to really idolise you guys. You seem very tight. His his style of leadership, I think, is something that we don't see a lot in track and field coaches. Like He seems really um, empathetic, and he'd, he'd take a board for you kind of guys. And I think you guys would the same for him. Like Maybe talk about yeah. that kind of relationship. Yeah, it's it's crazy because Dathan puts so much into the team, um, his effort, and he's, he, he acts like a volunteer coach. Yeah, like that, a coach yeah. that's like trying to get into it. He acts like that all the time. Um, the amount of effort he doesn't, not just he puts into athletes that are doing really well, but for the athletes that are struggling with 
with injuries and stuff. Like he'll book stuff, he'll book fights, he'll try and be there with them 100% of the way, learn about stuff. And Dayton's like, you know, he's a guy that understands that he's so young in coaching that he can take in a lot of information too and be like, okay, so this is how this is working. And we're learning stuff together. And it's always a two-way street. The athlete to coach too, is he's been great with that. And um, it's been fantastic. Like the culture there is a testament to the athletes there as well. It's been absolute fun. It doesn't feel like at all that we're, we're, we're you know, like going through hard stuff. It's always a whirlwind of fun and adding in Morgan to the equation is always going to be good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of get that kind of culture. And I know Dathan found that very important because I think when he was at the project, um, he didn't like the culture there. Like it was the best, probably the best team in the world that had all these amazing athletes. And, but the culture there was terrible. Mm. I think he didn't, he wasn't having a good time there and people were struggling. And when he left um, to pursue with Brooks Hansons, he found that the group wasn't at that kind of level of Olympic medalists, but they would do anything for you. They would take the shirt off their back for you. And a lot of them worked in running stores and were just the lovers of the sport. And Dathan realized that like he wanted the best of both worlds. He wanted the best athletes in the world, but he wanted to have that mutual respect from not just the top guy, but for the, for the guy that's struggling with injury and, and trying to get back into that level. So um, the way Dathan kind of has that mentality is fantastic. And uh, particularly the way in which like, I mean, most of my teammates were watching my races in Australia um, when Leah or any of the other girls are racing um, overseas or in the States, we always have it on the TV and we video it and we show them that we're, we're invested in them because when they have, when they have results to see success, we feel like that's also our success because we have a part of that because we're there with them training. We help them with pacing or anything like that. So um, and I know that culture is, is important and I know a lot of other groups are, are trying to get that, but we've just been very fortunate with the people that we're with. We're all on the same page and Dathan's just projecting that kind of, idea of like you know this is this is a we're a part of a family and running is an individual sport and we always give the best athletes like you know their opportunities to succeed and we give them that space but we also realize and understand that like we all bring each other up so he's he's done an amazing job with that and um yeah and and the athletes too they're like all the on oac people are just lovely and it's it's great to have that kind of environment to kind of grow with and i think it's a it's a testament to the success that's come through on the result page as well but then, you know, you guys have got to take some credit because the um, accessibility, like with you guys doing, you know, you're doing the podcast off your own back, uh, I'm sure. Like that's kind of an independent kind of thing. You, George and Morgan, and then the video kind of stuff that we see from Morgan as well. Like is that all him running that and pushing that? And like you guys are just, um, you know, kind of like the features on it or who comes up with these ideas? Because it's easy to get easy to get fans when you do that stuff. Like I'm, I'm sitting here 100%. in country victoria have a town of twenty thousand, and i feel like i know you guys so well and every time you're racing <laughs> i'm yelling at the tv you know i've got buy-in as a as a 35 yeah. year old sitting in country australia yeah no it, it's it's mostly come from morgan george and myself morgan does a lot of the work with the youtube um the creative thing but we always give him important insights like he thinks about stuff like songs or memes or put things in that's kind of relevant but it's more or less like we have a very unique opportunity particularly as runners like professionally in the States, we have a unique opportunity to show people what it's like, but also to give them an insight of like what we do um, and, and kind of show them like what it's like to be in our situation, which I think isn't shown a lot, um, particularly with our podcast. We kind of talk about like our experiences, like not every experience is great. I mean, Morgan's been dealing with some tough injuries. Um, Jordy's been dealing with some tough injuries. Like we're not, sometimes things don't always go to plan and we kind of try and show that and portray it. And Morgan also likes to have fun with uh, training and put everyone in feature in it and Dathan loves that because I think for him he loves to be able to portray the life of 
what we do, but also to be able to show them like, this is what actually happens. Like this maybe things don't go the right way or things go the right way and where we train and what happens uh, is an exciting part of, of running. And, and it's something that we kind of wanted to show and, and be a part. We want people to buy in and with podcasting too, like, you know, it's, it's a free content that we, we hopefully show and people enjoy and, and people feel a part of our journey. Um, and our success and they and they can enjoy it and be a part of it so Morgan is a big testament to that but Jordy and I also try and help him with it um, with Coffee Club in particular we felt that particularly as Oceana boys as you probably know we love our coffee Australians love their coffee um, and the coffee in America is okay but it's not up to that Australian standard or New Zealand standard so we thought it would be fun to kind of make a coffee club group and feel like you know you guys can listen to our pod if you're doing work or you just want some background noise have a coffee and just kind of sit and listen to the sport and see what, see what's going on. And we try and get guests on to have kind of their unique perspectives on everything. So it's been fantastic. And we've been, you know, trying to get the beans out, get people invested in having good quality coffee as well. It's um, something that we've been pretty passionate about. And it's been a great kind of outlet as well to show not just our stories, but the stories of the team. Um, and uh, Dathan's all about it. He loves showing that sort of stuff. And he, he as an American, you know, his sense of humor might be a bit different to ours. <laughs> At some point, he's like, what are you guys doing? Are you guys are idiots. And I was like, yeah, we are idiots, but this is what people want to see. <laughs> um, so he, he kind of loves that, but he also learns a bit about Australian culture and New Zealand culture, which I think for him is exciting because he, he likes kind of that nuance that we have here. And he's like, oh, this is different. I'm enjoying it. So, yeah, it's been great. It's been a whirlwind and we've, we've really, really loved uh, doing it. And I think a problem with our sport, and I'm, actually, I'm sure you agree, is we have a lack of personalities. Like everyone's real straight shooters, we're going, especially we say on the podcast at times, especially when you do an hour interview, people just straight batting answers for an hour. Like, this is what I've got to say. Stay away from controversial stuff. Um, whereas you, you're pretty brash on there and you don't mind, you know, calling people out or swearing or whatever it is. And I think it's, I think it's great because we need more of that in sport, like more rivalries and more kind of like trash talking. And, and then you get on the track and you can, yeah, sort out on there. Yeah, hundred percent. I think Josh Kerr, like he has his sit and kick podcast with David Ribich and, they're, they're a great testament to that too. And I give them a lot of credit for it. And uh, we get, you know, we get the rivalry going we get the bash and people get invested, whether they're Josh Kerr fans, or Ollie Hall fans, or David Ribbish fans, or Jordy Beamish fans, they get invested and there's a bit of a clash and it makes it exciting because then the races come and not always the same guy wins, not always the same guys on top. And uh, I mean, everyone, I think a lot of people have been using the same example. I know Seb Coe, who is the uh, head of athletics and, has been talking about it, but like the drive to survive, like Formula One's right now in Melbourne. Um, you know, it's it's apparently the, the most crowds that I've ever had. And I think that's a testament to Drive to Survive, the Netflix show, because you're showing personalities like Daniel Ricciardo, um, like George Russell, like Lewis Hamilton, like and not just the top, but you're showing, you know, the Haas guys, you're showing um a lot of the guys that are like, you know, fighting for points and have their own little battles and rivalries. You can have that in track and field too. And I think just having that content and being able to portray it, it doesn't have to be completely um, impeding on all your personal stuff, but to be able to have that in the sport and the lead up and, and the training and the, the heartbreak, but the success and the reward and the, the emotional toll that it puts on people. I think that is a thing that we should invest in sport. And I think if track and field can somehow, not just in distance running, middle distance running, but in all sports, be able to kind of give a good story for the audience to indulge, you have a lot more fan base and you'll see, I think as well, like, it'll pop up more um, on the media, you know, seven, nine, 10, those uh, media outlets will start to show more of those events like Brisbane, um, the Brisbane track meet and stuff like that. People competing, people trying to get those achievements, people get invested in those stories. So 
uh, if we find a way to do that with the media, um, it could be a fantastic thing for the sport and hopefully bring people up and give them a lot of recognition for what they're doing because a lot of athletes who are doing fantastic things and have great stories are being left untold. And I'd love to learn those stories because me, even in the sport, I don't know a lot of those stories, but it'd be awesome to be able to see them and be like, wow, that's great. Because then you can see that athlete in person be like, you know, their background, you know, the emotional um, investment in there in that sport. So for us, like we'd love to see that any interviews or any kind of, not just in our, our event, but in anything would be uh, fantastic. And I think hopefully um, the push for that can come through and we can see a lot of uh, background and hopefully bring in more fans. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Haven't watched one Formula One race, but I've watched four seasons of uh, Drive yeah. to Survive. And, you know, yeah. always been just like, oh, there's going to be new results. I'll check that on my phone or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you've, yeah, they've done such a good job. But, hey, I want to talk more about your uh, your running and performances. 2021 was amazing. Like, I think I've got down here 10 1500s at 336 or quicker. Would that be right? Like it was just yeah, every time, right. yeah, every time you raced. And I think I had in there three wins, two seconds, a third, two fourths. But that's including Olympic heats, semis, finals, all those kind of things. It was pretty insane 2021. Are there things you'd changed? And like, how did that transition happen from college runner into a pro group? Like so quickly, did Dathan do something in training or was it self-belief or, or what happened? Uh, it was interesting because right when the time when COVID hit, I was actually training very well with, with Coach Byrne, who's the head coach at Wisconsin. Like my training was actually at a really good spot where it's like, hey, you're going to like break through here. You're going to have a great season, indoor and outdoor. And unfortunately, um, it didn't go through. So we had to kind of sit in it and wait. And I know I think with a lot of athletes, not just me, like that amount of time you have training and just the buildup of like the emotional toll of like, I want to race. I want to prove myself. I want to PR, whether you want to PR, race in a good race, try and win a race. It was all building up for a lot of people. So for me too, that was that build up. And then when I transitioned to Dathan's training, Dathan's training was just another step level up um, from college training. And I, I did suffer from it for a couple of months. I struggled with a lot of the training. I was getting getting dropped quite quickly. Um, and But it was just a build up. I was also moved to altitude um, and I was a high responder. So that kind of affected my training too. And I was struggling with a lot of things, but then getting, getting better. Um, and it was also the fundamental belief. I mean, I think Dathan was seeing my training and a guy to me, he's saying like, Hey, you can run this time. You can run this. We're going to put you in a, we're going to pace the race. And we're going to put you in this position. And people have to obviously, you know, rise to that occasion. And I was able to rise to it um, in New York when I ran 332 and ran that Australian indoor record and beating Jake Whiteman, who's an incredible athlete in himself to be able to do that. It gave me the confidence. Like I can do this. I can be in this environment. And then from then on, we kind of wanted to make sure like, obviously we had to be selected um, discretionary. Uh, by a by committee um, we made that decision of like okay run as many 1500s as you can run them as you know under under the standard as many times as you can and then we'll get to diamond leagues compare the diamond leagues as best you can you know getting second to yucca but at gateshead was a big big win for us and also beating stewie and rambo to show that you know this guy can compete at the world stage if you're going to select a guy um, in that top three and i'm um, trying to hit those credentials so that they can look at him and say hey oh this guy can do it um, we'll look through the credentials and see can anybody um, beat him or match him and then by the end of the year in Zurich I was I think ranked fourth on world athletics which was an incredible experience coming from college to then it was such a big jump but it was just a belief and being able to obviously deal with the training but also just being able to rise to the occasion of racing um, I think for me as well like it was a lot of racing too which kind of wore me out a little bit but it, it definitely gave me the environment to learn how to deal with um, external stress uh, you know, just with everything going on, traveling or 
sitting in a hotel waiting for a race, like learning to be able to do other things and, and be invested in other things for your mind's not always switched on, particularly in Tokyo. Um, and that was a great learning, learning curve for me as well. And all that kind of stuff just helped me rise to the occasion, but also learn from what I was doing that year to hopefully progress it into 2022. Yeah, the best thing I loved was the um, the Instagram captions after every oh. good performance. Just like, what, what, are you still watching? Are you still paying attention? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it looked like a really good, really good uh, hint to AA just to make sure they were still keeping track of your results. Keeping over track there. of it, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. That's one hundred percent what it was. It was yeah. just like AA, like I'm, I'm here, I'm racing over here. Just, just, just don't jot it down in your notebook, and then um yeah let, just let them know i was like oh i had this race and it was a good race i just want you guys to make sure yeah did you ever yeah. tag him in it should have just tagged i think him i the- tagged him in the in the oregon one when i beat donovan brazier in the in the 15 and i ran 333 in terrible conditions i tagged him and i was like i hope you're paying attention yeah um, because i wanted them to okay okay he's run that outdoors he's done that um in that type of field he's got good points his ranking is good okay yeah. we've got that down uh keep doing what you're doing and we'll we'll let you know how it goes that I was just- kind of the idea of it and taking names, like just getting people. Um, yeah, just getting scalps. That was the plan. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm not sure how much you want to share, but the altitude factor and the training, like can you give us, so how is sleeping in a tent and stuff? You weren't, were never doing that before, Dathan. And then what is a normal training week? I know there's not no such thing as a normal training week, but like give us a sample of like a Monday through to Sunday with Dathan. Yeah, sure. Um, altitude, I don't want the tent. I'm only in the tent when I'm at sea level at certain times. So, for example, like I'm usually at altitude in Boulder. That's a good enough altitude for me. Like I don't need to, like I'm, I'm a high responder. So the altitude is fine. And it's low enough to the point where I can still run fast middle distance wise. And do you know uh, that but, through blood work that like you guys yeah, keep so track we, of? Yeah. Yeah. So we get our blood drawn um, to check how we're doing at altitude, but as well as to just check like, oh, like I was very low on vitamin D. So I needed to take some vitamin D because it was very low and my iron was low. Um, so I had to take stuff like that and obviously like put it into meal plans as well. Um, and that was a good thing to check for athletes, for, for men and women on day three side. I just wanted to make sure everyone's dealing with the altitude okay. Um, if they're, you know, if they're really tired, you'd be like, oh, maybe you need to get a blood draw. We need to check if your blood's, blood's okay. So he does that um, just to check it. Um, and then when we're at altitude, we kind of, yeah, that's, that's the situation. I'm not in the tent up there. But when I come down here for long periods of time, whether I'm in a training camp or, or stuff like that, we're trying to run faster stuff. We'll go in a tent and I'll be in the tent to sleep in. That's pretty much it. And the tent will be set at probably about 9,000, 10,000 feet. I don't know what that's like in meters, maybe 2,000 meters above um, sea level. Uh, just, to, just to keep that altitude buff um, going, but also be able to kind of train really hard, but able to keep that kind of altitude um, feeling. Because I know a lot of like, uh, like Galen Rupp and Mo Farah, like particularly in their places that are at sea level, whether it's in Portland, Portland sorry, or in London, they have altitude sealed rooms. Mm. I mean, we can't afford that, <laughs> but they have that sort of stuff. And I train the treadmill and like they've um, been able to do that. to so keep it at keeping an attitude for training or sleeping um, when they're kind of, you know, in their residential areas. So that was kind of the plan for us. And the typical week for me, I mean, I'm probably at mileage. It's all in miles. So I apologize for Australian listeners because you can obviously convert to Ks later on. But I do about 85 when I'm running a lot of mileage, about 85 to 90 miles a week. Um, you know, Monday will usually be a double. So it'll be like a 10-mile, four-mile run. I'll do my drills and strides. Uh, Dayton's got like kind of this drill system that we do that takes about five to 10 minutes. I'm pretty useless at it. Um, a lot of the other athletes are very good with their drills. I am pathetic. I'm getting better with it. 
Is that um, the one that he's done a promo for Gatorade and Gatorade. it's on YouTube? That's the, yeah, yeah, that's the drill. That is yeah, a great Gatorade video. We'll put that in the show notes. Like, yeah, that's great. If anybody yeah. needs to know our drills or our system, you can look it up on YouTube because Dayton does those drills uh, for Gatorade. But we do those drills on um, Tuesday. We usually be a workout in the morning, um, whether it's a fart leg, tempo run, track workout. They usually be on Tuesday. Um, and then in the afternoon, we're doing another double, like a four mile double, uh, just to get the legs going. And then Wednesday, will be the same kind of double 10 miles, four miles. We'll do some lifting. Um, we're fortunate enough to have our own gym at the moment. So we do some band lifts, some, some weight lifts and stuff like that. Just kind of functionality. Uh, Jason Ross, who is our also Cairo PT does our lifts as well. Uh, he's based in Michigan. He was a former uh, USA bobsledder. So he's been fantastic for that just for strength wise. That was another different change for me because I never did lifting in college. So it's been a good transition for me just to keep the body strong and healthy. Uh, that will be on Wednesday. Thursday, again, we do another double, probably 10 and 4, um, just to keep that going. Drills and strides usually afterwards. Um, and then Friday, we'll do a workout. Uh, it depends on what we did on, on Tuesday, but Friday is usually a good workout. Saturday, easy five-mile Sunday long run. So we usually do that um, for that general week. Uh, sometimes it changes, though. Sometimes Nathan will put our long run on Tuesday and do our workout on Sunday. So he likes to mix it up depending on – Weather is number one because of the snow, um, when you can shovel the track. We're not fortunate enough to use the indoor facilities at Colorado University. Um, they keep it pretty strict only for college athletes. Um, so he'll, he'll have to shovel the track if it snows. But a lot of other coaches, pro coaches are in the area, kind of have a, like a face, face group message. They're like, oh, the track's going to be you know, covered in snow. So, you know, Dathan will shovel the track with Joe Bossard or, or, or Joan Hunter from, from Team Man Elite. Like they'll all shovel the track together to make sure the athletes can compete on it, which is fantastic. It's great for the community to be able to kind of work together and keep the track clear so all athletes can use it. How long would that um, take then? Like he's literally out there with a shovel oh, just hours. moving. Yeah. yeah hours. Uh, There's that dedication we're talking Kaylin. about. Yeah. And his wife, Kaylin does it too. So she's dedicated as well. Love Kaylin. Uh, Nathan's wife gets a good shout out because she actually shovels it with him. Which she doesn't have to, <laughs> uh, but they'll shovel the track. So it depends on bearing like when we do workouts like that. Um, and sometimes it mixes around, but it's generally that general typical week will be what we do um, when we're at training in Boulder. Um, and sometimes we'll do three workouts. Sometimes we'll just do um, two. Uh, but usually, yeah, it, it's very flexible. Dathan's training is very flexible depending on the weather. Like if the weather is really terrible, he's like, let's do this, do this run today on the treadmill. Uh, we'll push the workout to this time. And then if we can't really get the workout in, he'll modify it or simplify it. He'll make it so that it kind of works with our environment. So it's a very, very fluid schedule and we use Final Surge, which is great. Um, he's able to kind of jot it in and update it uh, for all athletes and not, you know, all athletes are doing the same workouts. You know, a lot of the girls do different stuff. We have um, Steeple, you know, like Leah Farland, who steeples, uh, she does different stuff with hurdles. And we have Sage, who's an 800 girl who's not going to be doing 10K work with Alicia. Uh, so they kind of mix up the training and kind of synthesize it together to, work and it's it's been nice to have that kind of system so it's very fluid but that's kind of the typical week that we usually do uh when yeah. training in boulder your favorite and least favorite workouts what do you like Oof. seeing what do you hate seeing on final surge i don't like seeing um the like if we do like eight or ten by mile workout because i know joe clicker uh who if anybody was interested you can follow him at strava you can see what type of workouts he does in that man i'll know i'll get put in the ground for that you do those at uh, threshold? Yeah, threshold. Yeah. They'll be like around 4.45 down. And Joe can, Joe can do those for 10 by mile. Little recovery at altitude. It's pretty insane what he can do. 
just shows his endurance in the 10K event. Um, being a 27 low uh, guy, probably under 27 at the, at the present time, leading into US trials for 10K in May. Um, and then Jordy just destroys me in fart legs because of that NAU background. Um, if anybody's a fan of college system, you probably know about Mike Smith at NAU. Like they got ridiculous fart leg workouts and they were at a higher altitude. So Jordy would kill me in fart legs as well. The only way I can get them is for like shorter track, track stuff, like 600s or 400s. I'm usually able to kind of get back at them for it. Um, my favorite workout is this workout that Jake Dayton has called, it's called 600 breakdowns. It's 600, 400, 300, 200. We'll do three or four sets of that. And we'll start the 600s at like 127, then go down from there. And the 400s get faster down to like from 56 down to 52 and 300 same and 200s kind of almost down to 25, 24. And then we'll do a couple of sets of those, the attitude. And I love doing those because I just love ripping it. <laughs> and uh, I love being able to kind of push the boys. Cause I mean, Joe, for example, isn't uh, necessarily known as a speed guy, but he'll close, you know, he'll do a 600 in the last set and 124 um, at altitude and like be able to like close down really well. And he'd be like, Oh crap, I can do this. I can like, I can, I can run fast. And it's like, it's good to be able to have that resource for them, reassurance for them. And to get them going, like, you guys can run quick. Like, it's, let's, let's get it going. So that's my favorite workout that we do uh, in Boulder. I think yeah. Morgan's filmed one of those workouts, if you want to check it out. It's pretty fun. Um, it is. And you often go in the opposite direction. What's the story? Why the opposite direction when you do a track work? Yeah, so Dayton likes to do that particularly because um, just with, like, when you're, with your, particularly with hip flexors um, and uh, anything with your legs, like, you're kind of leaning to one direction all the time. So he likes to mix it up and particularly for longer stuff, when it comes to running fast, we'll always go the other direct, like the proper direction, but the tempos or for doing a lot of um, mile repeats, he'll, he'll definitely be like, all right, we've got the track to ourselves. We're very fortunate for that. Uh, we'll do five by mile and we'll do it the opposite direction. Um, and then we'll do the other five miles um, the right direction just to kind of even it out. Because I think what he's noticed, particularly with his body is that he's done a lot of track workouts the same direction and his left side um, particularly because you got your turning left from the track has been like a bit more beaten up, worn down uh, than his right side. And we're not just the only group that does that. I know Joe Bassard team boss does it too, as Tim men as well. So a lot of other groups are catching onto that because it's good for the athletes to be able to kind of switch directions and it helps the body uh, plyometrics as well. So Nathan thinks that that kind of helps us just with general wear and tear. You want to even it out with your body. So that's kind of why we do that. Yeah. Yeah, right. Last uh, kind of heavy question and topic before I get into a few quick quick fire questions. Tokyo Olympics must have been amazing. 11th, incredible final. Um, we'd been pretty much in lockdown for like two years back here in Australia and any sport <laughs> that had been on TV was just something we were lapping up and we saw Pete Bowl get the fourth and then we, oh. we, we kind of locked in to watch you and Stewie go around 15 and there was this genuine, I've probably been following the sport for 15, 17 years and I can't remember in Olympics, maybe Mottram's kind of era um, where we kind of watched potentially, we were sitting on our seats thinking that we could potentially see uh, a main kind of major championship medal. And yeah, you guys both on the start line, it must've been weird with the empty crowds, um, but knowing the support you guys had and then the way that race unfolded must've just been, uh, I don't even know what word, incredible to be a part of. Yeah, it was an absolute privilege. Uh, I roomed with Pete and oh, I just thought, um, I thought Pete could win. Um, I definitely generally thought, but you know, you, you do the best you can on the day, and sometimes it's not your day. But fourth in the world, like fourth the Olympics, not just the world, but like it's every four years, and he was fourth. Um, incredible achievement, and Pete's such a great guy and a great 
Um, he's hashtag good for the sport. Like he's just so good for particularly not just just like me as a track and field athlete, but for also for like uh, minorities and, and Sudanese. Ref- but you know, like his whole story is just fantastic and it's great. And to be able to represent Australia and do that for um, a lot of people, it just puts a lot of pride into our country. Um, and he did an amazing job. And Stewie as well. Like Stewie had a lot of pressure on him going through the year and the way he performed, the way he spoke, the way he went about it was just unbelievable. It was incredible. So being able to be towing the line with him, having two Aussies in that final, we may have not had the races that we wanted, but we were able to kind of compete and learn a lot of experience. And as you know, Pete, myself and Stewie, there's a lot more Olympics to come. So mm. to be able to be there competing in a sport where pretty much every country in the world has a track and field team, um, to be able to be at that standard is, is fantastic. And for me, the race, like I was just, I think the whole build up to make the team, it was such a, um, such a fight to make that team, um, which was a necessary fight and a privileged fight. Uh, once you get there and every round to get through, it was just mentally, emotionally draining. I know Stewie felt it too, but, you know, at the end of the day, that race was just crazy. It was an Olympic record uh, type of race. It went out hard and you had to be really on your on game to, to, to compete for a medal. And me and Stewie just weren't able to do it, but it was great to be a part of and a privilege. You know, I was 3.35 with my time for 11. Mm. And I looked back at it and it was like, you know, it was a tough race. And I obviously wanted more out of it. We both wanted a medal. But at the end of the day, like I was there, I was able to compete. And uh, we take a lot away from it leading into only two years away for Paris. So hopefully with more experience and more racing under our belts, we can start um, hitting that top top category and pull, bring back medals for Australia in the future. Yeah, exciting times ahead. Yeah, you said it so well. Like just that invaluable experience that um, you now have in your heads that you can use going forward. Uh, a few quick ones for you, mate, because I haven't got much more time with you. What pisses you off about the sport of athletics globally and or in Australia? What would you change? Globally, I think there's just a lot of opportunity for investment and money in particular. I feel like it's a lot of athletes, not just in my events, but like in shop put, like there's like a, a guy, Tom Walsh, who's a New Zealander. Yeah. He has competed. I think he's medaled at every major championship, this boy. Um, Con Games 2006, didn't he win? Like we're talking yeah. years ago, yeah. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. He was a, I think, three-time world champ or two-time world champ in the event. And he's like an absolute, just a class act to watch, an amazing bloke, even though he's a Kiwi. <laughs> he's an amazing bloke. And he's unsponsored. Um, and that that's upsetting because a guy like that, he's just such a good investment for any company that should be jumping onto that guy. He's like, he's got great personality. You know, he's a thrower. Like there's a lot of kids looking after this guy, not just as a New Zealander in Australia or New Zealand looking up to him in, in the world. You know, people looking up to this guy and they think he's, you know, great personality. Uh, globally, I think the problem is the money, there is money there. There is money to give, not just to my events, but to all events. Um, and I think that money needs to, needs to get there somehow, whether we get that investment um, from a Netflix show um, or from just getting people invested into it. Because in Europe in particular, I see so many people, so fans and there's crowds and there's money that's going to be there and, and put in, and it's been, it's, it's been put out back in with, with diamond leagues and stuff. But I know with investment and sponsorship, I hope companies are going to invest in a lot more people, not just on the running side, but in the field events too, to really give these people the support that they need. Because if you're funding great people and great athletes like that, they're going to be at more events. They're going to be doing more things, hopefully, going to be more invested in, in producing amazing results. Um, you know, some athletes might not have the time. They might think, oh, well, you know, I'm not getting paid very well. I'm trying to juggle financial stuff. I'm not going to, I'm going to skip that event. Whereas that event, that could change a kid's perspective. They could see this guy and you could sign a, 
a little, you know, sign something for him and go, wow, this is awesome. And then that could be the next big uh, sports star. You don't know who you're signing autographs for. So for me, that's a global problem. The Australian problem, I'd love to see Australia media, particularly like seven, nine, ten, like a lot of those things. When events happen, like the national championships, I want to see it more on screen. I want them to cover it more. Like they cover the football every week, which they should because it's a very popular event. But they cover the football. They cover, um, you know, the soccer. I want them to cover men and women's track and field like that. Like just every week, just, just cover it. It takes five, ten seconds. Just cover what, what's happened. You know, cover Liz Clay breaking an Australian record or cover Peter Ball breaking an Australian like, record. Cover those people mm. because even that kind of that media, it just it's good. It's good for the sport because it gives people that recognition because there could be people sitting on the couch and you're like, I wonder who that is. They'll look them up on Google. They'll be interested in they're like, oh, they're, they're competing next week in the Diamond League you get another person, another fan watching it. So that would be my um, thing that I think the sport needs to, well, hopefully the world can, and Australia can kind of jump on that. Especially post-Olympics. Like yeah. we had general population people here knowing who, you know, who you were, knowing who Pete Bowl was, knowing who Sinead Diver were. And now, yeah. you know, when you don't see him again for four years, it's hard to, um, you know, keep him in your mind and keep that exposure there. And I always get annoyed, like when we'll have a big fun run over here, they might have it on the news, but it's in like the, general section of the news it's not even in the sports section and you kind of yeah, yeah. use the footage is someone you know dressed up as a giraffe running the city to yeah. surf and they don't even mention the man and woman who actually won it in a half yeah. decent time like well they might quickly yeah. and then doesn't even actually make the official sports section of the news yeah. Yeah. um quick couple more for you here my co-host co-host brad wants to know when will you get the american accent like morgan's got how much longer i'm i'm trying to avoid it i'm trying to avoid it mate morgan poor morgan he's he's he sounds like an american he's like everyone's like oh man he sounds so american and people in america do know he's not from america like, i can kind of tell that he's not from america but mate i've been trying to avoid it as long as possible but the problem is the more time that i spend over there the more time i have to kind of like say certain certain words i caught myself saying um tomato the other day and i almost slapped myself in the mirror it's tomato it's tomato mate and it's like oh yeah, I've been trying to keep it away, but like, if, if you guys catch me, just make like a hundred percent make fun of me. Just constantly make fun of me if I get the American accent, because that is something you should make fun of me for. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> which, which which PB is the best? Which one are you most proud of? Honestly, the thirteen oh nine five. Okay, really? Um, yeah, I was because I think the training leading up to that, a lot of strength training, a lot of mileage, and there's a lot of overlap from the Olympics as well. I think I've just become a different athlete in that section, but. A 1309 indoor for me shows me that I have hopefully a future in that event too. I mean, I could be running the 5K later on down this season, which would be awesome. But I'm very happy with that PR because before that, I couldn't really finish a 5K well. And I felt like with that one, I was, I, it was a good one. So that, that's my most proud one. I hope 1500 will hopefully be that one. I'm hoping to get closer to 330 and hopefully under. Um, but yeah, definitely a 5K at the moment, 5K indoor. Can you ever see yourself coming home in the next five, 10 years? Or is that the career has to be based in America for you to be successful? Uh, currently with my sponsor and the opportunities I have, I will stay in the States um, just to be able to access to Europe too. Like the travel, the poor athletes in Australia, like we're just so far away. Like the travel mm. to Europe is such a punish. Like, I mean, a lot of those athletes just take like 24-hour flights, 36-hour flights to get to their event and they're like just completely zombied. Whereas in America, it's an easy access to get to Europe. So that's another benefit for it. And my group's there and my support system is currently there too. But I will end up back in Australia. I will end up back in Australia. I know I will. Um, and hopefully if my career progresses and I get the opportunity to come in Australia and, and run, I'd love to be a part of that because I think that'd be awesome. And the final one, my other co-host, Moose, he asked me, I don't know what this means, but he just says, ask him about the Tesla story. <laughs> and, we can, and we can cut it if it's shit because I don't even know if it's a good question. 
Uh, the Tesla story, I guess it's just me buying a Tesla. Okay. <laughs> it's, 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 I, 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 maybe there's another story that I don't know about, but uh, uh, Joe Klecker, who's my teammate, he has a Tesla and I, I was interested in it because in Colorado, unfortunately not in Sydney, but in Colorado and Texas, there's great um, tax benefits from having an electric car as well as a lot of charging opportunities to have it. And I just, I thought it was a good idea because I didn't have to pay for gas and it was a nice car to kind of zip around and use as a business expense to go to training. You know, my teammates didn't have to use to pay for petrol or anything like that. And now it seems like a good investment because uh, petrol prices are through the roof, not just in Australia, but in the States as well. But yeah, we drive that around and we're known as, as you know, when you see people in certain cars and you're like, oh, that guy's probably a dickhead. Um, that's the Tesla. So uh, when people see me there, I'm like, I'm definitely getting looks. People are like, oh, look at that little, Little little little, little pansy boy. over there, yeah, little rich boy. But um, <laughs> that's pretty much that story. Um, but yeah, no, we 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 both have those cars, so we kind of park them next to each other. We have the OAC sticker and the coffee club sticker on the car, so people know who it is. And yeah, it's pretty funny. I don't know, people make fun of me for it, but I'm like, oh, you know, it's good that you make fun of me of something. I need to be made fun of sometimes. Saving the environment, <laughs> looking after the environment, looking after the environment. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, mate. Uh, well, your weekly coffee club. If listeners haven't heard that before, they can definitely tune into that. I think you guys is it Friday you release every week. Friday and Saturday, yeah. Morgan will release some stuff, and um, yeah, no, tune in if you want to have a listen. We just chat about general stuff to sport. We kind of bring the light everything that's going on, and hopefully give a better awareness of just everyone, um, everyone in it. So. Massive yeah. thanks for your time. I know it's a busy time and, um, yeah, time that you've taken away from your family that you don't get to see that often. So I know the Inside Running podcast listeners would have enjoyed that chat. And then, yeah, thanks again, Ollie. Oh, appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. The team at Brisbane Marathon Festival are giving away two free entries to any distance at their running festival to listeners of the Inside Running podcast. Entering is easy. Check out our Instagram feed for details on how to enter.